0: Joe, are you from LA?
1: I am not. I'm originally from Poughkeepsie, New Yorkish area, and then I lived in Boston for 13 years and then got a call from a production company uh, out here who saw a newspaper review of a show I did in Boston and that sort of got the ball rolling to come out and, hey, let's make money out here, as opposed to really never making money in Boston ever. Like breaking even was the goal for those shows.
0: May I ask what year this was? I'm sorry. May I ask what oh, yeah. year
1: this was? Oh uh, yeah, we moved here in '97.
0: '97. So I've been, okay. Yeah, I've been so ish era. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and I was
1: on. I was online really early. I did the Cleveland Performance Art Fest. I was a performance artist and a visual artist for before I started doing all this stuff, and a photographer before that. So long. I have a weird resume. I did the Cleveland Performance Art Festival in 1995 and the way they described me was I was an internet surfer. (laughs) I was like Joe Wilson, performance artist, internet surfer. And just like now we're all internet surfers. Now that not like at that point that literally was such a different thing to do that people would note it and add a word for it because it was not the norm and really not until the phones came in and normalized. Everybody had a computer; they just called it a phone, and that changed behavior. Um, and I think that changed behavior to, you know, David Lynch hates that people watch movies on their phone, but a lot of people watch movies on their phone, and now they're making them on their phones too. So, uh, I, I think it's a good thing.
0: What did you love about Los Angeles when you first moved here?
1: Uh, potential. I guess it was I I came here and was head down and had a five-year plan and if things weren't working in five years I was pulling out and I literally got married moved here two weeks afterwards and I was writing I was doing stand-up I was acting Mm I was taking acting classes and improv classes and writing classes and at some point I felt really spread thin and I stopped doing stand-up for a while and really focused on screenwriting because I kind of felt like that was probably what I was going to end up doing. It seemed like the thing that fit well because acting, acting is a lot of fun but acting in crappy stuff is not and auditioning for crappy stuff is even less fun. And uh, So when things stop being fun and you're not making any money doing them then you start to question why you're doing them. And so I really honed in on writing for a while and then I started doing stand-up again. I never really went back to acting. I mean i have done a couple of things because people have asked me to do stuff, but uh, I don't consider myself an actor. I do have the ability to pretend professionally. I've been paid, so SAG-AFTRA has one of those things on file for me, but I don't, you know, I did a pilot and a, a couple of commercials, and. I think what I did was, uh, in retrospect, <clears throat> I'm on my fifth, uh, fifth fifth five-year plan, and uh, and they've never worked. <laughs> they have never worked. All five-year plans are. I mean, it's nice to look at a chunk of time and say, you know, this is going to be done by this. But bird's-eye view, now that I've seen like 22 years click by. The open mic that I went to when I first moved here, those are the relationships that turned into business literally like 15, 20 years later, uh, because of relationships that happened there. And I think when you're, when you're all low on the totem pole, you consider everyone else low on the totem pole because you're low on the totem pole, and you don't realize, oh wow, this is you know it's hard to figure out who to collaborate with. <laughs> Because you're trying to find the right personality, but uh, that is where you know I know people for all that time, and I know that's when that's when the connections were made, and that's when you know you want to work with people you like and people you know. And so, if you know people, and they get a gig, they tend to bring in people that they know, which is nice. I've had it happen a couple of times.
0: Well, from having interviewed you in 2012 and 2013. I am not going to call you the c word, which I had called you before, and that is content creator. Yeah, yes. Sorry. yeah, not yeah, not the other right, c right, c right, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. That I'll call you off the air. Sorry, right, not right. kidding. Okay, but um, so with the five-year plan, the first one, what was then the backup if that didn't work?
1: Uh, there wasn't a backup.
0: You just knew that the initial five-year period. Well, that, I just
1: looked at it as if. If I didn't see any indication that I wasn't out of my mind trying to do this stuff then um, I would keep going and there was always enough I got on a pilot in two years um, so thing you know I got a comedy central national um, stand-up contest in like the third year I was here so stuff stuff really happened really quick. Uh, and then stuff didn't happen for a long time. <laughs> and then stuff happened again. And uh, I listened to a lot of bad advice. Um, I think I spent. I sort of looked at the entertainment industry as like, well, if I'm a good student and of the industry, and I, you know, read all the trades and know all the stuff that's going on, and and. That, that somehow would make me uh, better as a, a, a property as a, an entity to sell as a writer and uh, it was a complete waste of time <laughs> just just because I know how to you know what ankling means doesn't mean that reading variety is a good use of time um, especially at this point in history you know back then it was it was you know came out, 5 days a week it was thick it was there was a ton of information in it now it's like once a week and it's like a pamphlet and it doesn't matter you know a lot of things matter less now because there is so much to watch there has never been this much to watch and there will never be less than right now
0: Who was the bad advice from?
1: Bad advice was from other comedians, other actors, other people in improv classes, uh teachers, um mentors, losing the word loosely. Um I think what it is is that you tell yourself how it's going to be. And so when things start to happen like like you've heard other people's careers happen like uh, I, was, I was in the uh, uh, write, a, write a spec screenplay, uh, get it in a contest, get a manager, sell it. That was it. That was the whole plan and uh, so I did that uh, a couple times and had people tell me I was going to be a millionaire and very nice to have people tell you who have made other people millionaires that you're going to be a millionaire. It's very nice uh, especially when you're writing stuff that is to sell. It was written to sell high concept comedies the elevator pitch that you only need half the elevator ride to pitch it like it's that kind of quick stuff and that's what I was focusing on and I I wasn't I guess I wasn't acclimated to the rough ride that was coming I didn't realize how much people would lie to me Uh, people who represented me people who I worked with people I collaborated with. Uh, just wow.
0: There's definitely that element here, which is, I think, a surprise to a lot of people that aren't from here.
1: You know, it doesn't surprise me. I just, I ex- my expectation is that when someone represents themselves as something, especially because, you know, when you first move here, you're so impressed with people's resumes. You know, if they've done anything. They know more than you and the problem is is that maybe they just got lucky and they're full of shit, and they don't know anything they're just blah 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 and they happen to teach a workshop that you can pay for and and then you realize oh so that resume thing that they have that was really the only thing that they've ever had and they've been cashing in on that thing doing these workshop acting improv writing screenwriting whatever and I understand people want to make money and people have information but That there is a dark side to that. uh, And it, you know, at some point I hit hit the wall. I was just so sick of me working my ass off to hear now again. You know, at some point you're like, all right, so I'm going to work my day job all day, which I was a private investigator working at home. So I had one desk and I'm working all day and then day's over and then I go over to another desk, and now I'm writing a screenplay. And then I go back to work. And so do that for, I don't know, years. And at some point you start to think, wow, so this is my life right now and it's going right by and all I'm doing is fucking typing. Here, here's another one. No, okay. This is great. Oh, this is the best. I'm writing stories that are going to make people laugh and oh no I'm not. I'm just filling up hard drives with a bunch of fucking bytes. No one's ever going to see those screenplays. They will die like most screenplays. That's what happens. And I think the, the thing that I am glad I came to the conclusion was I didn't, I just wanted to fucking make something. I was so sick of just like why does someone have to give me permission? And, and the thing that that uh, uh, anger is an energy. Uh, it's a public uh, image yeah. limited uh-huh. song. And it made me angry that I, I wrote three short screenplays and all of them were shot by people who two of them had gone to film, like good film schools. And they were um, garbage. They were garbage. And I was just like, I just wrote three shorts for you people to make and oh my God, this stuff is garbage. I'm gonna have to learn how to direct now. Great. I didn't want to direct. I just knew the only way that I'm going to have any ability to get the tone of this comedy, where it needs to be is for me to be in the room controlling that tone because they don't get it on the paper they hear, they hear you're, you're handing them heavy metal and they're giving you back polka. And you're like, you know, I just gave you fucking... I worked my ass off for you for this heavy metal and you're handing me back this doot to do crap and it sounds like shit. And that dialogue is music. Comedy is music. It's, you know, drama, comedy, that dialogue there is. It just, it has a timing. It has a... a, a an effect it's it's and when someone else fucks it up and then I had to learn to edit and I had to learn to shoot and I had to learn to mix sound and I had to learn to do little special effects and I had to learn to work with fight choreographers and produce and all the post-production because if I knew how to do all I wouldn't have to count on anybody. So I got it down to all I need is actors. I can do literally every other job. I have shot. There's a short I made called Clyde Hates Bonnie that I shot solo. I'm the only camera person. I'm the director, I'm the camera person. We worked with a choreographer. We had two rehearsals, two, te- two fight rehearsals, and uh, only time I ever storyboarded. And I, uh, and it worked like I was amazed. Like I always think we well, got to have, you know, you got to have people and all the people. Man, nah, you don't need all the people. You don't need all the people. Really break it down. What do you need? Well, I need a camera and sound and light and an actor, right? There's nothing else I need. It's pretty simple. That and some place to shoot. Once you have all that, then you can shoot anything.
0: Do you really think people were lying to you in the beginning or were they saying these things that were sort of the catchphrase of the moment, oh the gatekeepers? And you you know and and that was like trendy back in like 2010, 2013 uh, and then there's a new way to do it. And then a new way. Oh
1: yeah yeah. There's always a new way and there's always a new story and that never ends. I know for a fact that I was lied to on a number of occasions by individuals and it sometimes it was mild uh, the information and sometimes it was information that if I had uh, would have been uh, less catastrophic
0: why did they lie to you
1: uh, they were afraid of the truth and they were the one that had to deliver it and they didn't have the guts so I had to find out through other means and uh, and that was after years of collaboration.
0: You know how they say in storytelling, there's like these um, tricksters, mm-hmm. shapeshifters, whatever. Do you think some of them were those, or no? I
1: think they're just assholes. Okay. It's it's the brand, the type, the. The level of entitlement that happens in Los Angeles is a different brand of entitlement than happens in anywhere else, other than maybe you know parts of New York City, parts of Paris, parts of London. But LA has got a big mass of just people who have arrived here waiting for someone to know who they are. And I've I've been in super successful realms and I've been in super not successful realms with people and like I worked with Michael J. Fox on a sitcom and Tracy Pollan, they were the nicest human beings. I've. I was, I was kind of like, "You're so nice. Like I'm, I've got like nothing. I'm a nothing part. I got two scenes and I do nothing in those scenes." And and he came up to me. He was like, "Hi, I'm Mike Fox." And I was just like, "No, you're Michael J. Fox, and you just <laughs> said your name wrong." And and then a week after we shot the oddly, we shot the pilot in November. He announced he had Parkinson's. And you could not see it. You did not know it. And their idea was that he was going to produce it and she was going to be on camera and he was going to be slowly moving away from them. And it didn't get picked up.
0: Telling stories has been fun for you. Working in the entertainment industry, not so fun. I think that was a quote from you somewhere.
1: Yeah, I think uh, at some point when you're banging your head against the wall and you're trying, and that, and that is. I mean, that is a career. That is what you do. If you want to be successful, you keep writing and you keep banging your head against that wall until something goes. The thing that crossed my mind, uh, because I had some friends die young, was that I was relatively young. And was I going to die typing and not making anything? Like, all I want, like, I made. I wrote to have three shorts made because I just wanted to have something made like just while well, I'm typing I just want to see this happen and then when I saw it happen like I literally could not go to the screening because I was so angry at how bad everything was and and so I I think at some point I was just like literally like fuck this why am I doing this what this has been years and I have gone through managers and ups and downs and projects that were going to be huge and and not you know little tiny things happen but not enough for a career not enough to you know you all, all you're doing is stringing together a bunch of temp jobs that is what the The entertainment industry is. It is a bunch of temp jobs. Yeah maybe you get lucky enough to be on a show that lasts for years but most of the time these are temp jobs. You're working one day, maybe a week, maybe a few months and then there's no work and sometimes you have a great gig and you make a ton of money and then nothing happens ever again and that is a reality that happens. No one wants to talk about it because no one wants to hear. You know there's this really good possibility that you're going to spend all your time and all your life and all this time nothing's going to happen and you're and that's it and you're going to look back and you're going to think hey that was a lot of money that was a lot of time wow so that was my life huh interesting Hmm. maybe uh maybe I want to change things up a little bit And, and the most fun I had was when I said fuck it the most fun I had that's when things started going together that's when things started just it seemed effortless when I stopped looking for people to say yes to a script when I was just like, I'm making this, do you want to help? Changes everything. And then when you make something and it doesn't suck, and then you can use that to make something else, and then that doesn't suck. And then you use that, and you can then you're slowly building these little tiny increments until you have a couple hours online of a bunch of stuff you've made. And then it exists and people see it and it doesn't disappear and what's amazing is, and the thing that you do not know when you make anything online is stuff that i made in 06 i got a comment on last week oh wow so that's the thing that nobody tells you like this youtube's not going anywhere it's not going and they and as far as i know they're not cleaning out the old stuff so if you have your short up there, yeah, maybe it doesn't have 20 billion views, maybe it didn't go viral, maybe whatever. maybe just maybe it doesn't suck. maybe it will entertain, amuse, whatever someone, why did you start to do this to begin with? And I started to do this because I was like, I love when I'm sitting down and something happens on a screen or on a stage and, I, and it makes me feel different. I want to be able to create that. How do I do that? spend fucking decades typing and stand-up and acting and like going to school for photography really came in handy when I was a director because all of a sudden all of a sudden the the SLR was a video camera and I'm like yeah I know that all these numbers I've had them memorized forever like I can I can tell everybody what f-stop to go to because I knew it when I was 11 like so it made all this stuff really easy you know I knew focal lengths and all that stuff none of it I knew the shape of 35 millimeter because I had been taking pictures and trying to fit the world in that so I had I was one-up on everybody I didn't need a director of photography because they'd taken so many great pictures because I spent years learning how to do it so now I'm just making ones that move that's why I never went tripod because I'm like I want to be able to get whatever I want whenever I want it I do not want to tripod It's too slow. It's too slow. I want three cameras, two operators here. I'm operating. Boom! Cover, 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 cover. Next.
0: Did your parents like their jobs?
1: You know. Yeah, my father, I think, I did for, for to some degree, and I think my mother tolerated it, I guess. They both came from poor backgrounds, and my father was a construction, worked in construction as a plumber, union uh, down Austin area, and my mother worked on an assembly line for IBM, and then worked her way up to be a CAD operator, and then both of them got screwed over. They forced everybody into retirement, and then hired people back as temps to oh. to train the replacements. Oh, and, wonderful. And then the, the union was starting to run out of money and started cutting off you know uh, benefits and stuff. So I think when I saw them get screwed, I was just like, I am not going to work my ass off so so I can be a cog in somebody else's machine. Just that is the one great thing that came from my parents going like they did all the right things American dream high school educated family we all went to college house they did everything right still got screwed So I uh, didn't want to
2: do that
0: So do you think that's what kind of like lit a fire under you to say okay I'm gonna go from wherever to Boston do some stuff okay then I'm gonna take this chance this person, Communicated with me, said, Come to LA. And so you knew that that's not the life for Joe Wilson. I'm I'm not going to be doing that. I'm not going to work for some company and then be politely or not so politely pushed out the door.
1: Yeah, that was the goal. I did end up working for a company for 11 years that I own a little tiny piece of that was started by writers and actors that's still in business. Um, So it's not like I'm against, you know, I'm not like. Damn the corporations! I just know what happens to companies when they get big. When companies get big, they care less about people. They, you know, when Ford had the Pinto in the '70s and when people hit it and it blew up, Ford said, "Well, we can either recall and pay for that, or we can just pay for all the lawsuits." And they chose the lawsuits, and they're still in business. Amazing! I have one of their cars.
0: So. Do you ever go back and say well I know I'm typing at this one desk and here I'm wearing this one metaphorical hat as this job and then I'm turning around and I'm typing at this other desk as a quote creative storyteller. Um, Even if I don't make a million dollars right away or in the next 20 years I still want to do this. Or ever. I still want to do this because this is who I am and I can't stop telling stories and I don't want to… Have a job that I hate that I have to go to, and I have to smile at people and make it seem like I want to be there, and I don't right. really want to be there. Right. And my boss is an idiot, and I'm having meetings about meetings. But I didn't do this screenwriting, so I've given up.
1: I, I think there's a question. In there, yeah, so yeah no, gonna, I'm pulling it, it, totally, it. Sorry, <laughs> I. Um, I don't know. Say say that. Well,
0: I guess my question, with all that gibbering jabbering no, no. that I'm doing, is like, even if there isn't Hollywood oh, putting know, a stamp, saying. even though yeah, people yeah, yeah. loved Vampire Mob and it has views and people gave you feedback. Yeah, sure. If you want to do a second version of something, right? But no, because Hollywood said they didn't want me. So, it's right, quote right, unquote, right. I'm not touching that again. Is that where you're at?
1: I guess I got there years ago um, to not acknowledge the entertainment industry. To kind of like, if I if I could make something without it, then, and the end result, it was it was sort of like, I needed to get to the audience, and the thing that was between me and the audience was all the companies that make the shit to show to the audience. So if I could find some way to get around them. And get to the audience, which social media allowed, um, you know. And I've I've had people and continue to have people find stuff and and like stuff, and you know, you make somebody laugh when they're having a bad day or a bad life or a bad, you know, time. And I know um, my wife was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, and I know how much comedy. Really can help, like I have seen it firsthand. So there's a value in in making stories, you know, whether it's drama or comedy or whatever the genre. But I think you know now because there's I think the number of guest star performances to be considered for Emmys was 2,800 and something performances. So if you have that many. Potential nominees for for guest. When you have thousands of performances, now you have thousands, you have literally, there are more shows than anyone can get to in their lifetime if they wanted to do it full-time and just watch television. They couldn't get to it all. So now I'm making more stuff for them to watch. Why? why am I going to make something that I have to be in the same boat that Netflix and everyone else is like how do you get all these how do you get that much attention like everyone is so twitter facebook instagram snapchat what I gotta watch something what oh there's something Uh, how do you get their attention they I think if you're going to be indie, that you have to spend years uh, getting to know your audience and talking to. And I and I have changed my term a little bit in terms of audience because now I I see the people I know online as neighbors because I talk to them all the time. You don't talk to audience all the time. Audience is this thing that's over there and you're over here and and I think a lot of people like that a lot of people like hey I'm over here you're over there I act you stay over there I'm a director you stay over there when you talk to people every day because you're not making everything all the time like you I don't care how good of a producer or you're not putting out movies all the time as an indie person. So there's going to be all this time that you're not going to have something new and if you're spending all your time on social media talking about your fucking project, Jesus Christ, really? More? <laughs> Tell us more. You typed another page, yay, come on. That is not… I, I know it interests you and I know it's a great thing for you but you're just typing. You, know, you finished a screenplay, okay I'll give you that but uh, I, I did another thousand words, shut up. Tell me about the thousand words after you've done 50,000 and then 100,000 and then 300,000. Then maybe you can talk about the words a little bit but uh, just because you typed all November to get to get a novel out doesn't mean you made anything good, it just means you typed every day. Uh, I don't know what that tangent was about. <laughs>
0: That's okay. I enjoyed it.
1: Oh good. I'm glad. I <laughs> know well, there was a point to this. It
0: was therapeutic.
1: The, I think the a story can have a value without the entertainment industry. And the entertainment industry doesn't value stories, they value profit. Uh, The Marvel Universe is a very big complicated story but that is something that has an audience that was built in for decades and you only market at a level that is saturation when you're playing with literally billions of dollars. But all that's for other people, that's not for me, that's not for most people people that is that's the giant machine that is you will be a cog in that machine unless you're on screen you will be because it's just too big and even and if you are on screen you're still really disposable because that is Disney has bought the world and that is really valuable property right now.
0: Just like in um, Say Anything and forgive me I'm yeah. thinking on John, uh, John Cusack's character but he's basically I don't want to, you know, produce anything Oh yeah, yeah I so remember that. that. I don't want to yeah. you know buy anything that, you know. I was we was talking to her dad at dinner. Right, right, right. Aren't we all sort of owned by somebody though? I don't care if we work for Marvel and Oh, you yeah, yeah. And, and, and we're on the red sure, carpet sure, right. and, and and they want your picture or Sure. You're working for a company. Yeah, you got
1: to work. You have to work for somebody. Yeah, we all own I, I started a, an online reselling business to sell stuff to make money that way. So all of my customers are technically my boss.
0: Sure, sure. Uh,
1: I don't think, nor do I expect, what I make to generate enough income for me to live on what I do online. It's more. It's just like anything else. It's a gig. Just a little gig. You do something, maybe make a tiny little bit of money, and then you've got to put another one together and another one together. And uh, I was on a roll when my wife had cancer. That roll, the wind and the sails, stopped, and storytelling was not important anymore, and was not a priority, and was not anything that I thought about for a long time because I had other stuff. That was more important, and I think I think the other thing about this is that sometimes, and I've seen people do it to their demise, literally. Um, sometimes people make the entertainment industry and success in it more important than anything else, including other people. And at some point, you're going to end up being an empty shell of a human being at the other end of it, uh, and you will. Uh, Maybe you won't regret it but man you're going to be bitter as hell because it's just when 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 the the socializing in Los Angeles is based on perceived success whether it's current recent or about to happen and people I've had the and it's the classic thing you're at the party and someone's talking to you but they're like and that person's way more important. I really need to go talk to that person. But yeah, 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 I'll be right with you. And then they go talk <laughs> to that person. Or or the classic, hey, are you going to come to my show? Now, when is that? Uh, now, is it right if I show up late? Oh, no. You know, I think I have this thing. You know, I'll try to be there. Okay. That's an L.A. That's an L.A., definitely. So you're definitely going to be there then. I'm definitely probably trying to maybe be there, yeah. Maybe. But I'll, But I'll try. Thank you. They're not showing up. I remember when I was doing stand-up comedy everybody was doing one man shows or one per solo shows so everybody was just trading off everybody was just going to each other's shows because we needed an audience and because there's just so many comedians and there was so little audience in Los Angeles
0: what's well, gotten that way with crowdfunding it's like you want to donate to people's campaigns but after a while we just had another guest that reminded me of that and that's a great point that you want to be able to give to these campaigns over and mm-hmm. over again but you've already given to so many, and you're kind of like tapped out. Yeah. And I think that's that's part of the problem. But going back to storytelling, do you plan on giving up storytelling? No,
1: no, 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 no. I, when I was doing Vampire Mob, I uh, one of the cast members, Marshall Wallace, died, and I had written a whole season three, and. Uh, the idea of trying to make it without her seems weird like I easily could have written her out I easily could have cast someone else and it was just kind of like this isn't I don't know it just didn't feel right so I went graphic novel I went comic book and I don't know anything about comic books I didn't grow up reading comic books I'm not a comic book guy so then I had to learn about comic books learn how to write comic books and man I wish I had done that like before I ever took a screenwriting class because for you to have, so i I'm adapting a screenplay into a comic book so I have it all written but it can't just get dropped. It isn't like I'm just taking the script and then oh look it's a storyboard with words. It's like you have to go through and like what are the five panels that you're going to put on this page that are going to tell the story and you're going to have to leave most of it out because you can't have this giant long thing because you want to watch your character walk through the alley for an hour. You've got (laughs) to go. So it changes how you see story. Now all of a sudden you think oh I want this panel on this page to end so when they turn the page and they see that top panel the surprise will be there. You're literally writing like that. There's no plot points, it's page points. and. The challenges with making graphic novel. I just put an issue two to the printer, so the second issue will be coming out soonish. The challenges working with artists, getting artists. Um, I can't draw. Uh, the frustration, to be honest. Uh, putting the two books together has resulted in me writing a book. So I am. 45,000 words into something called Bob Berry's things. It was an idea I had a couple of years ago and I just needed something somewhere to go like I when I'm writing I'm I disappear completely. That's the way I look at it. I'm daydreaming on a page writing is orchestrated daydreaming. I'm just daydreaming. It's not hard to daydream so it's really easy and I like it and now I've spent it takes a long time to write a book and I expect like 50 people to read it and that's my expectation and maybe my expectation will be beat but I'm asking somebody to not only take time out of their day but a lot of time to read a book so I don't have any expectation I don't know what people will I I didn't write this from a marketing point a genre point anything like that it was just an idea and I ran with it and and, uh, and the, the weirdest thing is I, I listen to the book I have the program read it back to me so it's sort of like an audiobook being read by a robot and I listen to what I wrote and then I hear what's wrong with it <laughs> and then I can go back and change it that I never would see if I was just just reading and even if I was reading it loud I wouldn't catch it like that.
0: Can you tell us more about this book that you're writing, Joe?
1: Yeah. It, I had an idea about a guy who was burying things in his backyard, and I had an idea of what he was burying, and that was all I knew. So I had to write a story <laughs> around, around the idea. And uh, I've never written a book before, I have never written what a character has thought, ever you can't write what characters think in screenplays because they have to say it or it's got to be a voiceover and I've always been of the anti-voiceover school although I know it comes in handy it's really lazy screenwriting sorry <laughs> um, but to being able to get in the head of a character and and be able to like essentially be in the middle of what is what would be a scene and then jumping into this giant sort of exposition flashback thing and then go right back into the scene afterwards that's really hard to do on screen uh, like that you can't hear what other you know what one character is thinking these little tiny things that you can throw out and also it's just fun to play with words and and try to find you know I, I go through and I'll, I'll catch myself saying a phrase more than once because I'm only one person and I only have so many phrases but I'm going through and I'm like yeah I said that I've already said that I can't use that little linguistic thing again. Um, so it's it's a lot more solitary uh, than screenwriting because I think it takes longer depending on the screenplay but I think writing a book takes longer and it's also harder to… You know, it's always hard to get somebody to read your screenplay and give you feedback. It's really worse for a book. Um, I plan on paying an editor, a friend of mine who uh, worked as a journalist, went to school for journalism, uh, had offered to has offered to edit it. So he's editing it. So I'm lucky in that regard because um, he's really a stickler <laughs> all the grammar and all the things and all the uh, and he goes every through everything four times. Uh, until he finds it but um, and I the graphic novel I'll put out uh, next month I guess at the rate it's going and then I'll put the book out next year 2020 I'm guessing unless something I'll put the book out in 2020 unless uh, something changes and things always change
0: How do you plan to write a story?
1: Uh, you make a big mess and then try to pluck the good stuff out. Uh, I sit down with a legal pad and I write down little tiny bios, uh, lines. basic stories conflicts secrets all that kind of stuff and I don't like like it's not neat like there's circles and lines and scribbles and stuff text out and and I only use one side so I can just keep going and then I will go back through and okay that's kind of interesting that's sort of good that's kind of interesting all this stuff I'll get to and I no lie have stacks of yellow legal pads that are from projects. And like with the Vampire Mob, I had to. I had to. I never plan on writing how the main character became a vampire because I wanted to, it was the screenwriting thing of starting as late in the scene as you can. So I wanted to start after he was a vampire when his mother-in-law moved in for eternity. I thought that was more fun. So in the uh, Vampire Mob issue two, I have a little ten-page mini comic that is the origin story of. Uh, the main character so this is him before he was a vampire and why he became a vampire and it was something I never shot before and so I'm writing the comic book and I go back to the legal pads from 2009-2010 and I'm going through and I'm like oh yeah that thing that's where I'm going to go and I'm, boom just found a way to do it and it was literally a line that ended up in season one uh, that was something about doing the whole light at the end of the tunnel thing and I'm like what's in the tunnel what's in the tunnel and that was enough to just go so I think when you're building a story is you're you know your character has to want something have obstacles and all that stuff but I also think like you have to have fun making the character do stuff. Like it's the old get your character in a tree and throw rocks at them. Um, like this should be fun for the audience. This should be fun for you. This should be fun. Like if it's drudgery, like I never felt like a drudgery when I was writing except for one screenplay because it wasn't my idea and...
0: Sorry to inter- interject, know. but you said secrets. Mm-hmm. From your time as a private investigator Did you start to realize how important secrets are to what makes up a character? What drives Uh, people?
1: I guess when I worked as a private investigator I had to call people pretending to be someone who didn't exist using a name that wasn't mine calling from a company that wasn't real with a story that was completely made up so I could get information.
0: Social engineering?
1: Social engineering. So that is a hard thing to teach someone how to do and I almost think it's kind of like you have to learn in the trenches. Um, So I, I guess what I learned being a private investigator was it's like being a con man. It's a confidence game. So I could change my voice, change how fast I talk, change my tone. Um, I would always say my name the company and where I was calling from because if you give all the information out front then they're like okay and then you start giving them the bullshit and then you start throwing them what I call misdirects which are questions that you do not need the answers to. Because you have to stack up the conversation to be thick enough to not have those questions light up like why is he asking me this because it's like oh all these other questions and oh this thing just drop you drop it in and you kind of ride the conversation like a wave and you just drop stuff in and sometimes you're like I gotta force this wave and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but I am a really good liar (laughs) I guess and I and it was storytelling I was telling people stories I was making up you know, I had my lines down, and sometimes you know people would come at come at me, and I would have to come up with another story on the spot and be able to cover it. So I was I was investigating a guy who was in court with the client. So I we, we used to call these cases uh, the crazy shit because this is a crash and burn. You go in, you either get the information or you don't. This guy's in court; he he's gonna know most likely that you are calling from the other side because he's in court. So I call from the other side, i got a great thing and this guy starts slamming me. He's like, what's, what's the phone number? I give him the phone number. What's the main number for your company? I don't know the main number. Well, how do you work at a company and not know the main number? Uh, sir, I'm a temp. I walked in there this morning. They put me down in a, a cubicle. I'm sitting down. I have this phone number right here. So what I need to do is get off the phone with you, get on the phone with my manager, ask him what that phone number is, and then I will call you back with that number. Is that all right, sir? Yes. So I hang up. I call another investigator. Here's the deal. The name of the company is this. You're my boss. This is what we do. Click. Call the guy back. Okay, sir. Here's the number. Oh, you know, I'm just in the middle of this whole thing with lawyers and I just thought you are one of them. What did you need to know? Blah, blah, blah. It gives me everything I need to know because the suspension of disbelief is a real thing. It happens in the real world. So they suspend their disbelief that I'm not who I say I am and they give me information that why in God's name would I be asking that? So the story, so you have to know who they are to figure out who you are because you've got to figure out some something that is either not symbiotic at all or potentially symbiotic because you need some some reason it's either I need something from you maybe you need something from me we're going to help each other out it's um, social engineering
0: so having been on um I don't want to say that side but having been aware of, of some of that and now we're in this new age of people's secrets coming out and it's instant on, on social media, do you feel that that's an integral part to doing a backstory on a character?
1: Yeah, I think the when I was working as a PI I knew people were at Google and I knew that we needed to keep track of all the pretexts to make sure nothing got burnt so if a pretext gets burnt it means they somebody has figured out exactly what happened they know exactly who did it they knew they were lied to they know they know the whole deal and they go online with it then that's burnt you can't use that anymore that story is garbage now because somebody else is going to google it and they're going to find it so now you got to change up your names you got to change up your your story now what was the question?
0: So, just secrets being an important part of a character's backstory and a character's motives and a character's arc. Yeah, I think
1: there are things about, uh, like, characters in Vampire Mob, even the characters in Play Shorts, uh, the other series I made, that I know about them that nobody else knows, and no one else will know. Like, I know there's a big overarching thing with Vampire Mob, and I know what it's about, and no one else does. And I know what the end is and I don't know if anyone else will ever know or need to know but I wrote I wrote an hour and 15 minute third season screen time so I'm translating that into comic books so I have I have a lot of stuff written that's already done so I have all these secrets that I'm getting to sort of drag into more stories and some that we haven't that we will learn actually.
0: So you think that's okay to do with characters? To have the writer has their secrets in the back pocket. They have their own file on them, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. But the audience isn't privy to that. No. That works?
1: Yeah, I think I think the audience the writer needs to know more about the character than the audience will ever know or could know because you're not gonna have the time to explain all this shit about them. So if you have, you know, uh, I can't remember. It was a psychology thing of like, where where you are when you're 16 is pretty close to who you are. Most of the developments happen. Not that there's going, you know, more education, changes, maturity, all the rest of that. But the baseline is about there at 16. So if you take your character to 16, if everything's there, what happened to put it there? So. It's literally just going back and okay well if they're, if they're doing this and they're in this kind of job or in this kind of situation then they most likely came from this kind of background that would bring them into this world. How? And then you sort of reverse engineer it and then go back because sometimes I think my mistake was not knowing enough about characters when I started writing stuff. I, knew, like, I thought I knew bare bones about the character and I needed to know way more. And I I don't mean you have to write an entire bio but you need to know a bunch of stuff about these people because when you're writing about them and they're saying something and the other character says something and their response is specific because of who they are, specific because of the secret you know. It fuels that response if you don't know that and maybe it will come out in the screenplay or whatever the presentation you're using but it's it's the work that actors do when if I give an actor a screenplay they have a script and they have the words the saying they sort of know the situation maybe they ask a couple of questions but then it's going back to they have to create that character what kind of shoes do they wear where you know where do they grow up what kind of school did they go to you have to all the stuff that's not going to be on screen because it will show up on screen both in writing and in acting there's something about the grounding of a character knowing you know where do they live what you know what does the room look like that kind of stuff what do they have books on the shelves do they not have books on the shelves do they listen to music uh, were, were they ever involved in a crime all this stuff and it just builds and builds so you have and and you need that for everybody your minor characters need to have some interesting stuff going on otherwise they're just, window dressing and they're not that you know especially when you have minor characters who are so interesting they're almost more interesting than the main character and, and you're all and they're only there for a little bit of time to make that happen you need to know a lot about that character that character's got to have something going on maybe they have the secrets that the the person's looking for um, I just if you're not writing something and it's fun if it's not fun you're writing it it's not fun why are you writing it like if it's if okay I'm writing this I don't enjoy this at all I'm I'm hoping it sells when it sells then maybe I'll start like liking writing like (laughs) that's a horrible plan (laughs) that is you better like writing because you're going to be doing a lot of it and a lot of it is not going to be seen a lot of it's going to get rejected you are and also you're going to write I know I've written some shitty stuff. Uh, my first book will hopefully be better because of all the other stuff I've written, but it's still not gonna be the best book I've ever written because it's my first book. But I I I know there's screenplay structure in it. I know, like I can feel like I can feel the first act, I can feel this is kind of what puts this into place. Here's the sort of midpoint, here's the big second act plot point, point. now we're just putting everything down and and it's so great writing without a budget I don't have to shoot this I don't have to find this location I don't have to figure out somebody who knows how to use drones like <laughs> you know it's so much easier when you're just like oh you know what a house it can be whatever kind of fucking house I want because I'm not going to fucking find it because I'm not going to fucking shoot it yay that's a nice freedom to have but also when the audience experiences that story when you're reading a book you're in their head in a different place than when they're watching it on screen um, most likely they're not going to jump you know when they're reading the book and they're like oh you know that's probably not going to happen they'll do that more on screen they might go oh my god yeah. but it's not going to be that that visceral you know when you see an entire movie theater jump at the same time that's not going to happen if they're all reading a book
0: what, Ever. Do you, what do you think the audience wants from a character
1: I think it's different for every audience um, because we are at a, an interesting point in history um, and the world seems a little extra dark. Um, maybe we don't need more dark stories, or maybe we do. Uh, I think there's something, you know, I, people go to scary movies to be scared. Because there's not enough real scary stuff in their life. Now there's a bunch of real scary stuff. So I'm wondering if they still need that scary thing, especially when you need to go to movie theater to be scared, which is scary just to go to the movie theater at this point in history. Um, I think they I think people need characters who are inspiring but not in a, a quote way not in a self-help way not in a hero but you know small like I love um, characters who are in episodics who you get to see go through a bunch of stuff and because it's such a long movie it's an 18-hour movie so you get to see them go through all these different things that you wouldn't if it was in a much shorter amount of time and then and because now you're fed the whole, here's here's the 18 hours, here's this whole season, go watch it, and then you watch it, and they're like, so how much longer for the next one? Three years. What the hell? But you'll wait because you binged, you were into it, you were. There was nothing else. It was just you and those characters and on that trip, and and uh, and it was fun. And now you want to see what happens to them in the future. I think that's. Uh, I think yeah comedy is going to be more important than it ever has been Um, and it shouldn't be looked on as being frivolous just because dramas are seen as more important comedies uh, help more than dramas do Uh, I think because we need way more laughing now than we did before And not that drama doesn't have a, you know, you want to get lost in their world and cry your brains out, great. But I think a lot more people are going to be looking for comedy.
0: So we want something in a character that we can kind of like latch on to, whether we see ourselves in that character, whether that character is classically good or bad. Right. And do you think that's why Big Little Lies? was such a well, there was such an appeal because at first you just kind of saw them as these women that I you never know saw they, the show. oh you never saw yeah. the show okay all right but
1: i I guess what has what I've always wondered was why do people have an interest in spending time with a hitman? like I wrote a story about a guy who kills people professionally. that's his job and people like him like his character is Likeable at some degree. Um,
0: the Sopranos.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, it's always Godfather, all of the mafia stuff. It's always been there, but it's. But when you break it down, <clears throat> when you actually like go bird's eye view, like, why am I so interested in this? Guy who runs a crime family who has anxiety attacks. <laughs> like, well, why who am has I? a bad so, mother-son relationship. Yeah, <laughs> and why? And why am I going to watch it when it's on on Sunday night at the right time? Like that. That is um, that stuff's never. You know, it will never go away. Martin Scorsese's got another one on deck. It's you know, I think the crime stuff is never going to go away. Procedural or procedurals have never gone away, and it seems like there's even more now. People love the crime stuff.
0: Why is storytelling important to you?
1: I guess I feel like some degree it's um, a service, um, not like a like a car repair service, but you're you are in service to storytelling. Whether it's you know nobody starts and makes money, so or few people do. So if you're telling stories, then it's because you want to like you would you're spending time with these characters and building this world without most of the time without anyone watching without anyone seeing and so you're alone with it but you're making it to give to other people so it's a service you are at the service of the reader the audience the whoever is experiencing whatever you're making and whatever medium. Or media, as the case would be. Um, so I guess it's important to me because I feel like I'm helping a little bit. Um,
0: For what? What do you help?
1: Stories give people somewhere to go away from all this shit. From to suspend their disbelief to go hang out with a, a hitman who's a vampire and drive around and kill some people. Uh, that is an escape for people it is somewhere to go it is suspension of disbelief stories have been around since the beginning of time because that's what we all sat around and did because it was really shitty wi-fi when you're a caveman and <laughs> so people were telling stories and drawing stuff and and be, then it's you know then it's just verbal then it's just one generation telling the next generation telling the next generation until you can start writing that stuff down so I and and stories are man you can get people killed with stories you can change people's lives with stories you can a whole country can believe a story and and do really bad things
0: and have them done
1: yeah yeah storytelling is is really powerful that suspension of disbelief thing the real world uses it all the time It's not just for storytellers.
0: What about if a writer says, storytelling for me is a selfish uh, motive, is a selfish endeavor and I make no apologies for it. I love creating other worlds. It doesn't even mean I need people to love the story, I just love to be… That
1: that it's that sounds fantastic, but <laughs> that storyteller's the whole not needing anyone thing is then no one's gonna see your shit. Man, you're you're just gonna type and just like, I'm just gonna fill up hard drives with stories because I love it so much and I'm so great. Uh, really? Are you just waiting until you die and then someone's gonna publish all your stuff? And no, I I think that person's if maybe if that's what it takes for them to be able to write great, but the reality is if no one sees it then you know like screenplays are maps for movies they're not meant to be read they're meant to be made so all the movies that I have written so far have not been made and will not be made and that's okay. That's uh, Some of them are shitty, um, a couple of them um Probably going to adapt into books because they were fun to write then, and they would be, I think, more fun as a book, and I wouldn't have to deal with trying to get it done. Um, And also, if I was to make a movie, it would be indie, and I know what it's like to be crushed by production. I would never make a movie at this point um, just because I can't do anything else when I'm making a movie. Uh, I know people have made movies, it's two years pretty much at least all the time full time Um, and and it's really expensive and it takes a lot of people and it takes a lot of people who have to stay with the project. It's really hard to keep people motivated when they're not making a lot of money and most likely I'm making a movie where they're not making a lot of money. And then after I have that movie made then I have to get people to watch it. And all of that seems like too much to do for me for the amount of time I've got left on the planet and for what else I think I could achieve in the same amount of time. Um, And also I could make a shitty movie. so I'd hate to spend two years making shit.
0: Do you think a storyteller is lying to themselves or in some type of delusion to think that they just want to write for themselves and they don't need an audience?
1: I mean, you can write a blog and not show it to anybody. You can write books and screenplays and never show them to anybody. But then, what if if no one sees them, then they don't exist. You're you're just you're creating something in a little silo that no one's ever going to be inside of, and if I think to some degree you need to suspend your disbelief that you know someone's going to make this, I can see it on screen. I'm a you know I think you need to do that. Um, I interviewed uh, Derek Haas and I'm blanking on the other writer. It's a writing team. I interviewed them a long time ago for some organization on stage. It was a writer's thing and they had told they had just had a movie come out and they were driving around with the producer and they were popping into theaters. They were just sticking their head in and they were just spending like 10-15 minutes watching the audience watch the movie and then they would get back in the car go to the next theater walk in do it again and they kept doing that all over town and I and I thought and so when I started the interview when I told them everything I said I want to start with that because I think that's the thing that when you're just typing it's hard to imagine and I always did it would be so great to um, you know have a company just They give you a check, and then they make the story, and it's good, and then people see it. Like, and I always imagined that, but I also imagined it when the industry wasn't what it is now. And you know, Martin Scorsese's on Netflix, so like, (laughs) I keep thinking uh, people are like, you know, you can make a movie and go out and sell. I'm like, yeah, Martin Scorsese couldn't get his movie made, so he went to Netflix. That's why he went to Netflix. He couldn't get his movie made. Martin Scorsese, with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, couldn't get his movie made without Pacino. Couldn't get his movie. So I should do what now? I should make my own movie and maybe maybe go to Netflix and maybe go to them. That's great, you know. Amazon Studios, uh, Ted Hope's running that thing. They're making some good stuff. I would definitely try to work with that guy, uh, but. I don't have a movie in me anymore. Not going to happen. It would have to be uh, I know what it would take, and I would not put myself through it.
0: I think that's okay to be there because if you know how expensive, how time intensive, also you can put that movie out there and then that's it.
1: But yeah. also I, like, I also don't know what, okay. s- what story I want to invest that much in like that much time that much money that much and and it's and I know from vampire mob it's really hard to keep people attached to a project Um, and if you and if the ball gets rolling and let's say one of your cast member dies and you're in the middle of the movie (laughs) what do you do then you know what do you do when one of your cast members has a family member who dies and you stop production and then you got to bring it all back up and then match all the continuity and that's uh, a lot.
0: I mean, I knew this is a film channel, film yeah. and screenwriting. Yeah. But there's something to be said for having a book, and having something in your hand, something tangible. Sure. And I think maybe we'll go back to that a little bit. I don't know. Maybe we won't. But I just, I miss that. And I know right now I'm not able to read. So I think that's okay. If you're saying I don't want to make a movie right now. But you still want to write, you still want to tell stories, whether sure. it's on Instagram or I mean I've I got, think that's wonderful. I've
1: got 38 short scripts written, Play-shops, done for, oh. for PlayShorts, ready to roll. I guess, in terms of. It's not that I don't have an energy, it's that I don't want to spend the energy on one thing. Like, that's a big thing that's going to take a lot of time. It would have to be a story that I was on fire about to to make. And when vampire mob was over in terms of it being a live series I started play shorts and I put my producer hat on and the weakness in vampire mob was all the actors like I needed the same actors to show up and if somebody didn't want to show up then I had to write a reason why they didn't want to show up and then bring somebody else in and whatever else with play shorts it was it's uh, episodic it's it's um, anthology it's two actors one story one genre then it ends then there's another one two different actors different story different genre then it ends so and they're all running like about 10 minutes ish and they're all really simple just two people talking sometimes guns get involved but most of the time it's just two people talking and that's, that is a lot easier to um, mix and match with, you know, I had one situation with Playres where I had a cast, I had a location. I tried to schedule it for six weeks. The actors could not, couldn't come up with dates, and I was just like, "All right, six weeks is long enough for me to keep scheduling. We're done." I was just like, "Sorry, everybody. I'm going to shoot something else because we can't seem to find a date." and life's short I didn't say that but life is short so I had another story in another cast in three days and we shot the next week so um, be willing to uh, uh, pull the plug on stuff don't be afraid to walk away from stuff sometimes it's sometimes it's better to walk away than there's been stuff that I've been like, "Ah, oh, I'm just gonna put up with more of this bullshit because it's gonna eventually lead to something else," and it uh, and it never did. <laughs> Ever, it was just bullshit.
0: You talked about endings. Where does a story begin for you? How do you know you have a beginning of a story when you're sitting down to write, or you're at a coffee shop,
2: or? I. I
1: think it ideas kind of just find you and track you down and and um and sometimes they've run away i th- I think with like Bob Berry's things, it was just a guy who buries things in his backyard, and I knew what he was bearing in his backyard, and I didn't know why. so the story was why for me, so I didn't know if, I, so I didn't have the whole thing at that point. And then when I cooked it, I came up, you know, beginning, middle, and end, and cooked up other characters and then started diving in. I, I wanna know enough where I'm going, but not so much that I'm not gonna have any fun. You know, if I outline the crap out of it, then I'm just like, I'm just typing what I did in the outline, and all the fun was in the outline. I want to just like bare bones outline, just here I go, this happens and this happens and this happens. Okay? And then I can make everybody talk and have fun and hit those points. It's a lot easier to, to do it that way. Um but I I don't know how I I don't know how I know if I have a story. I think it's it's um I don't know it right away. Um, With play shorts I wrote a bunch of those at a theater in Santa Monica um, in four four hours so I had to write that to be ready to be rehearsed and then be on stage in ten hours. So I had four hours to write, they had six hours to rehearse and then it was on stage twice so I did that like 40 times. So, if you do that enough, then. So, I sit down, I've got two people, I know who they are, and I don't have their resume, I just have their headshots. So, who are they? What do they want? What do they do? What do they want from each other? I would cook the whole thing, and I'd watch the other writers, and the other writers were tapping away, like right away, and I'm with a legal pad, like for an hour, like, mm, and this, and then, and then but this, and, and then, and then once I have it all, I'm like, okay, so that, that, and that. All right. And then I would start typing because then I wouldn't have to rewrite it because I think when you start writing before you have the bare bones of it you're just making a big mess for you to fix So, like no lie I made a big mess in the book I wrote the book I was close to where I knew the ending was starting and I'm like something doesn't feel right I read the entire book and there's a big dead spot and I'm like this is this is a red herring this shouldn't take up this much much time so I cut and paste just that section. I put it in another document, it was 14,000 words. I cut 11,000 words out of it. And they're gone. They're nowhere else in the book. They're gone. Because they didn't need to be there. But I didn't know that until I could see the structure. And I knew this little part of the story didn't need all this shit. But I didn't know it until I saw it. It was kind of like, you know, if I wrote a screenplay and I had a bunch of scenes and this kind of drag the movie kind of drags at this point. Can we just cut these scenes? It's that kind of thing. But you don't know it until you've got it built. And you can't have it built until you've built it. You're writing and it just goes up, and then when it's done, then you're like, oh, the windows are all in the wrong places. <laughs> you know, then you gotta move it around, do it again.
0: Is that why writing on a legal pad for you is like a better process? Because you're okay with it being messy, right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And then when it goes into sort of type format, you want it to be more aligned, and it's like a signal to you.
1: Well, I think it's it's um, it's kind of it's not to make it sound all like ooh, ooh, but it's kind of like sketching before painting. You know, it's kind of like let me draw this out, see what it's going to be. Now I'm going to put paint on the canvas. So if I if I know the bare bones of the story, and I write with just the bare bones, then other ideas are going to come in. Other things are going to happen. Sometimes I will find that my bare bones are wrong, and that maybe I found a better, better bare bone, or maybe I find that that bare bone. There was one thing in in Bob Berry's things. It was actually part of the eleven thousand word thing that, I. It was great. You know. I never got to write like this it was like oh wow I'm writing well I'm going to describe every inch of this room you guys are going to know everything about this motherfucker it's going to be great and then I'm like yeah this is just way too much it's way too much you don't need this but you have to have some kind of fun writing it's got to be some kind of like it's a like I enjoy it I never it's never hard I mean sometimes it's hard to get going but I… 20 minutes I look at the first 20 minutes as warm-up like I am I don't just sit down and then oh what am I doing okay da-da-da-da. I open up I kind of look at stuff that's the great thing about having the program read the book because then I can sit back and have it read the last chunk back to me. And then it kind of gets me into the role and then sometimes it'll, I'll hear it say like I use the word dome way too many times at the dome like five times and I'm like why am I saying dome so much
0: for someone's <laughs> head yes <laughs>
1: and I'm like I'm inside a dome outside a dome over a dome on his dome top just dome 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 and I'm like I gotta get rid of these domes <laughs> but it's uh, but you don't know until you you have it um, and and again maybe it sucks
0: Sorry, what was the name of this program?
1: Uh, Scribner.
0: Oh, okay. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so it will then read back to you what you've typed? Oh, and It's a monotone sort of AI voice? Yeah. It's a guy voice. Just, yeah. Uh, he, Interesting.
1: He, they, they have put in breaths. Oh, nice. So you can actually hear the robot taking a breath here oh, and there great. and I think it reads um, things in quotes at, at a slightly faster pace than the other stuff.
2: Cool. So for
1: dialogue I think it does speed it up a little bit but um, yeah, I definitely caught stuff that because I remember having I always had table reads of everything for vampire mob and I would record it because I would always catch stuff when I listened to the recording and then I did one I had a uh, screenplay called sue happy that the filmmakers alliance. Um, did a reading of and they brought in they had casting director they brought in 25 actors it was a giant ensemble thing it crushed uh, and it was the only time I ever got to see one of my screenplays like almost brought to life (laughs) like it was a staged reading but um, but it's that is the reason I think that that'll be the next book because I know I know what that story does to an audience so I know what it can do in
0: book form. Do you have a ritual for like? Okay, you've coffeeed up. You're you're yes. waiting. To, do, is there like this ritual to listen to the Scribner notes? Yeah. Uh,
1: well, one thing I I always listen to this. I have a nine. I have an eight hour and forty nine minute long playlist of Fats Waller songs. Fats Waller wrote a lot of songs, um, and I have been listening to that for over a decade um because it, i know all the music really well so i don't listen to it but it occupies the part of my mind that can think of something else to do so i always have that on and only i had to change to tool the band tool <laughs> for a sequence i was writing and i just like i couldn't get it with fats waller I, I never had any problem and i'm like i need something a little i'm like tool and it was perfect it was exactly exactly what I needed but uh, yeah coffee water make sure to drink water everybody it's important and um, headphones and I always write at home I never write in any coffee shops or anything like that just because I can close out enough of the world with loud headphones and I have tinnitus so I always hear ringing uh, 24 hours a day 7 days a week so um, when I have those on it, there's something about 1930s music that, that hits the frequency that buries my tinnitus a little bit. Wow. except for
0: when Maynard sings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I. There's I'm a. There's, songs one, there's one tool song <laughs> that I'm like, eh,
1: again, that's a little much. But. Yeah.
0: Don't they have a new album? That they do, do? Brendan. Yeah, yeah,
1: Fear Fear and Oculum. Oh, on very deck. cool. As do the Pixies. Oh,
0: I bet it's great. What makes a great story, Joe?
1: What makes a great great story uh, I think I like Roger Ebert's uh, take on it it's when you don't remember where you parked your car I think <laughs> that's, that's really uh, good yeah I think, like, when that. you're in when you're in the theater and you're watching the movie if you don't if you can't think where your car is parked that's a good movie and I think uh, for a story it's different for everybody I mean, My wife watches stuff that I don't watch, and vice versa. And uh, she loves the historical drama stuff, and I'm not so much with the historical drama stuff. Um, But she and she's like, it's just like candy, you know? It's you know, it's romance, and I'm like, okay, that's great. I don't want any candy. I guess I don't. But like, I watch Bob's Burgers. I love Bob's Burgers. I think it's a great show. uh and it's really just a dysfunctional family it's all like every other classic sitcom in the history of everything and they just have a more grounded take than the simpsons on that genre
0: was the brady bunch dysfunctional
1: the brady bunch
0: on screen i guess yeah, screen. technically
1: sort of mm. not not like now <laughs> so really, because All in the Family was really the beginning of like anything close to truth getting on television. So
0: good times. Good
1: times, yeah. That's all great, all yeah. the normal air stuff. And they recently did a live reading uh, or live reenactment, and they built the sets. And uh, Jimmy Kimmel had them do an episode of All in the Family and episode of the Jeffersons, and they had to bleep part of it. Because you can't say that word on TV anymore, and to hear all the stuff that Archie Bunker said that you can't say on TV anymore, and maybe it would be more useful to hear it on TV now, so people could understand what a bigot is right out of the gate.
0: That's a good point because it was such a great dynamic of him playing off—forget me, Rob Reiner's character as the meathead—and yeah. Yeah. and this politically active, outspoken young person against this old school yeah bigot and then you have the the codependent peacemaker Edith yeah you know who it just wants to a, make them happy and the thing <laughs> is if you
1: watch that show there are episodes that don't leave the living room like that is doesn't happen a lot there aren't a lot of shows that do that like Barney Miller was one of those shows that you know you'll have more than one you'll have the work set and you have the home set on all the family was pretty much just the living room and the kitchen once in a while you'd see a bedroom maybe the front porch. And then maybe you'd go to the Jeffersons once in a blue moon, but almost all of it was like a stage play.
0: What about Welcome Back, Cotter, Did they leave the classroom? Yeah, they
1: did. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah, here and there they did. Yeah, because I think they did the hallways. Let's go back through all the '70s shows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think Barney Miller was genius, just in terms of the setup, because you have because, and that's sort of the way I thought about Vampire Mob was that if you. Have kind of like a few main characters, and you rotate in all these other characters, you can build a really big world. And it's also a lot easier to schedule because if you can, you know, I was having actors come in and do four hours, so you would write so they could get what you wanted done in four hours. And then if you can set it up so they're doing more than one day in the story day, then they can show up in more than one episode, and it changes the. Um, dynamics of the whole thing.
0: What was the first story that you ever saw? I guess television or film or even that you read where it lit a an idea, sparked an idea that this is what I want to do. I want to tell stories. Uh, You know,
1: I never thought I would wanted to do any of this stuff. Uh, I thought I was going to be a photographer. And never thought I'd write a story or anything ever. Uh, I did I watched a ton of TV as a kid for some reason, I knew some TV ter- terminology. I knew uh, tag as a kid. I knew the tag in a sitcom because I watched a lot of talk shows and heard people talking about sitcoms. And said that last thing at the end is called a tag that you do. And I'm like, oh, cool. And so I'm like an eight year old going, oh, that's the tag, Dad. Oh, good. I don't care. Um, but uh, I was, I guess. Was just sort of aware. W- what interested me was that Barney Miller in, was in New York City and all the family was in New York City. Good times of things were Chicago. Um, taxi was New York City. Taxi was New York City. I always thought I was going to live in New York City growing up. I thought it would be a divorced man living with another divorced man trying not to drive each other crazy. But uh,
0: Perfect Strangers? No, no, uh, that's Odd couple. Okay, sorry. Uh, it's
2: so cool. I was thinking, I was thinking back, about it. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but uh, I, I guess I was just so aware that they were shot here as a kid. Like I would always watch it all the way to the end because you were waiting for the next show to start. So you'd see every single credit and then you'd see shot at ABC television studio or CBS television studios. And I'm like, so all of that is not a New York. And when you're a kid, it's like, you know especially when when I'm an hour I was growing up an hour and a half north of New York and I'm thinking oh Barney Miller he's just down just down the train ride down in New York and you sort of think of it that way and then you think oh so they have them all there and they're in California where it's sunny and and they're pretending all this oh that's interesting.
0: Joe we have a video we'd like to play for you. Okay. Cue it up here.
2: here
3: Los Angeles is a fucking million communities. Saying independent storytelling is one thing, new media is one thing, web series is one thing. It's so fucking stupid. There's no mainstream and independent. Within those categories is a billion subcategories. And I'm a tiny little fragment of nothing. Go, go to my IMDb page. There's nothing there. I'm nobody. But the audience who knows what I do—that's who I'm somebody to, and that's what all I fucking care about. Because I don't, yeah, I don't get—I don't get hired by the audience and fired by the audience. We have a—I tell stories; they help me tell stories. Pretty easy business plan. Again, not for everybody. Sponsors, you know, they want that number. Awards, they want that number. But. Audiences, they just care about stories. Even with—even if you tell stories with actors, no one's heard of. It. Is it a good story? How many stories have won Oscars with completely unknown casts, unknown directors? That shit happens. It's not just what's number one at the box office. It's not the number one rated show. You know, again, arrest development. Family Guy, these shows that got cancelled and are now coming back after years of an audience build. That's the Matrix. That's the thing that we can, we have over them. We can tell a story worldwide. We can keep going. We don't have to hit weekly ratings. We don't need to hit box office. We don't need to think about that. We don't need to think about awards. We can change the rules, change the way things happen and not emulate all these past systems. New game new way to do things, new systems, new validation systems, all new, individuals, we each come up with our own way to do it, our own individual business plans, we don't need validation from anyone other than the audience, and you only need that much validation as an indie storyteller to keep going, because if you're looking for an Oscar, Jesus, you better fucking be eating carbohydrates every goddamn day, because that is a long run, and, and, it's, and it's an empty errand. I'd rather, I'd rather entertain real people and hear from real people than please some unknown body of whatever so they say good job. That's bullshit. That's not real. That's not human. At all.
0: let with a fork. That was a shot courtesy of Nick's Coffee Shop. Great place, great setting. Yes. I love that we still, I don't know, this was in 2013, I believe? Mm-hmm. So just is kind of cool to see yeah. in that setting, and um, I know they were uh, very generous with you to let you shoot and do different things. Yeah. What's your take on seeing that video? Where you were? Mm-hmm. Just your thoughts on creating stories?
1: I guess uh, I guess I was right about all the stories that were coming because <laughs> now there's a billion of them. Um, I guess I think the the thing about um, audience like now that I a bunch of time has passed like I have I've met so many people internet neighbors who have helped me tell stories at Nick's and other places Um, that's I that's why the audience is their neighbors I think that the the what I was saying about talking to the audience I've been talking to the audience for years and so when I'm telling a story I'm thinking about people I know who will either see it or read it and it's you know not know like you know no no but as far as you can know people on the internet that's why I the term neighbor is I don't know. It's friends is a little strong, I think, and neighbors is a little more like, you know, you have neighbors. You're friends with your neighbors, but it's that neighbor friendship where you're like, you know, you don't want to get in each other's business too much, but everybody wants to get along. It's like that kind of thing. And I think with people that you know on the internet, it becomes sort of like that and and it you build the social media neighborhood that you want to live in. If you don't want to hear about all the bad stuff then you filter all the bad stuff and block those words and then Twitter can you make a list that is exactly, people who don't piss me off, that's a good list to have. Make that list. So you can go on Twitter, just look at that list. Nothing bad's happening on that list. It's all nice. Um, But the next thing that I, when the book comes out and when the graphic novel comes out because I've been talking to the audience to my neighbors in my neighborhood all this time it's inherently different than if I was just filmmaker in marketing mode on social media and all I do is talk about my project me my making a film my my going into a film festival uh, here's the next project blah, blah blah yeah people are interested in that but I you know people know my cat because I post my cat all the time. And does it have anything to do with filmmaking? No. Do people have cats? Yes. Do people I started a band with my cat called Mike and Me. We don't make music because I don't know how to play any instruments and he doesn't have a thumb. So <laughs> two of them even. So we just make the album covers. And and it's entertaining, it's amusing. So when I show up with something that's like meaty, like here's a book. Then they're gonna be like, "Oh, you wrote a book? Cool! Joe wrote a book. This guy that I've been talking to for years, so different." Then, "Hey, anybody want to read this book? Anybody? Anybody?" Is now marketing. Now I'm advertising. Now I'm promoting. Before, it's just my neighbors. Hey, you guys want to want to come over and see something? I'm. Um, I made. I'm gonna project it up on a sheet on the wall. That's pretty much what it feels like. And that you can fit a lot of people in, in that room on the internet with that sheet on the wall, because it's on the internet. And it, again, your stories can last. Like uh, I can't remember. Somebody told me. Oh, I know what it was. Um, Ru Paul had a has a game show. I guess I don't see it. But it has a game show, and I sold a jar of Celebrity Air in 2005. It was a jar of air that was captured within proximity to Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie at the Mr. and Mrs. Smith premiere. And it made international news. It was on Access Hollywood. Jay Leno did a bit about it. It was gigantic. And somebody sent me a screen grab from Rupaul's show. And the question on the bottom was, did someone sell a jar of air from Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie? And it was you know, it was like last year and so that was from 05 and so the I can't remember who told me about it when he sent me the screen grab he he said I said I'm amazed that people still would even care about that because Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt they're over and he's like clever is forever
2: oh and I'm like
1: clever is forever I like that that's really good so I think that I think that you can as an indie make small stuff that is clever that maybe people will look at down the line I made a point to not put references to current day time I didn't want to use any current slang I didn't want anything that would date it so I made up my own slang there's references to man there's references to happy days there's references to it's a wonderful life like I pulled slang from everywhere because that now it's its own world it can't go bad there's no reference to anything because then people can go oh I remember when that happened oh this is old and they never reference anything there's no there's no date on it you don't know they never say that's why I think you know the, the advantage to telling stories in the 80s now is because nobody had a cell phone so you can't text now all your plot holes so many plot holes I just text Yeah, the whole show's over because it's the 80s and I, I have this and I shouldn't have this I can just I can oh you want you need to talk to somebody across town like okay as opposed to driving to their house oh they're not here you stay here and wait and then I'll go in there you know, totally different story. Clever forever.
0: Joe do you still believe that there will be blue-collar storytellers or have they already arrived?
1: I think they're already here. I think uh, I think that it's because whatever everything that's gone on online, there is not, um, you know, when there were less movies being made, they were worth more money for everybody, and there were also less jobs for everybody. There's never been more acting jobs in the history of everything than right now. There's never been more writing jobs than right now. There's never been more directing jobs than right now. There's never been this much stuff made. So I think there's a ton of opportunities you know, in the industry because there's so much being made and when there's so much being made its uh, mass uh, is inherently blue collar. It's, it's not white collar in that uh, white collar like directors. You know directors are sort of the white collar worker when you when when there's 50 of them now it's just a bunch of people who direct stuff so when you have all the tv shows all the films all the stuff that's online add up all those jobs add up all that you know again the the guest star emmy consideration performance number was 2800 and something so there were that many performances to consider so when you're in the thousands just for an emmy consideration just to get the nomination and that is only getting bigger there is no there the star system the you know there's not going to be the star directors there's going to be like a billion sort of smaller known directors but i don't think there's going to be you know a martin scorsese I don't think that's, I think there's gonna be less of that because there's so much stuff. I think, you know, there will be voices that will be, you know, distinct and original and different, and there'll probably be more of those voices because more stuff's being made. But um, because it's just like bird's eye view in the 70s, you made a movie, that's what people did. There was nothing else to do. You went to the movies or you watched one of three networks or you read a book, read a magazine, went for a walk, that was it. Now I can sit home and watch the history of film on YouTube if I want. Uh, It is ridiculous how much stuff is online so saturation naturally displaces special. So special is… you know stars and that kind of thing blue collar is like there's a ton of people doing these jobs now so to be famous to be a star I don't know there's famous people but there's also a lot of famous people we don't know because we don't watch that show and the show's been on for nine years but still I've never watched big bang theory still haven't seen it no (laughs) idea don't
0: care and just like there's Sort of this middle class squeeze, you know, especially as we yeah, yeah. you know, last few years in, in the U.S. Do you think it's the same with artists? There's there's the blue collar artists, and there's a whole bunch of blue collar artists, and then there's the white collar ones, and very little middle class. Or I'm just making this up.
1: Um, I, th- yeah, I don't. I think it would be more like middle and then upper. Like I I sort of feel like if you're if you're working in the industry and you know making a living, uh, you know most most of the people who work on stuff are not, you know again it's a temp gig. It's a temp gig, and then when that temp gig ends, you got to get another temp gig so you can pay the mortgage. And if you don't get another temp gig, and then you don't get another temp gig after that, and then months go by, then that's a problem. Um, But I I just. I think there's going to be less stars, more famous people, not as famous, because uh, I've never I I've never seen this many actors in my life. I've never, even off the top of my head, even knowing, just think of just the TV shows, and movies you've seen in the last year, so much more than what would have been watched in previous years, because the delivery system is the internet. It's what everyone else is doing. It becomes habit. Then we're talking about it online. It becomes behavior. And that was the thing when you were trying to get people to change their behavior from watching a TV show at a certain time on a certain day. And then you were getting, changing their behavior by, here's the entire season, watch it. And then that behavior changed. Like all the, 10 years ago, all the web series people were saying, oh yeah, five minutes is too long. Five minutes is way too long. No one's going to watch five minutes. No one has time to watch five minutes. You're an idiot if you're making something. It should be three minutes. That's how long, that's how much time people have. And, and, and they were all wrong. Uh, yeah, some people want to watch three minutes, but in terms of like an overarching philosophy on human behavior, no, wrong. What human beings will do is sit down and watch 12 hours of television because it's brand new and they want to be able to talk about stranger things at the office on Monday. New behavior.
0: So, remind me again what a blue collar artist is, a blue collar screenwriter, blue collar director. I guess blue collar
1: is, is uh, less known, less, you know, more scrappy. B- not necessarily scrappy I think it's literally just from saturation because in the 70s if you had the number of movies that came out in a year and the number of tv shows that came out in 1975 and you added them all up and now everything that came out in 2018 and you added them all up it would be a skyscraper and be a little two two two-story building here's 1975 here's now all these movies and tv shows and actors so when you have this much I'm a director. Really? What did you direct? Well, it's only this much because it's 1975. It's not that hard. Oh, you directed something? What did you direct? Everybody, uh, there's a lot of stuff to pay attention to. When there's a lot, it becomes less special, less valuable, less, less. It becomes less because there's so much. You don't feel like it's, it's like the kid who has one toy and the kid loves that toy. Because the kid only has one toy, and then there's the kid who's got aunts and uncles who has been burying that kid and every toy. <laughs> the kid's got every toy. None of them are special because there's a million of them. If you only have that one, that's special. So when you have you know a handful of people who are allowed to make movies, and that can, now it's that it's a bigger pile of people. There's way more, and it's less precious. It's less special. You know. Honestly, no one gives a fuck about the Oscars. Not that they really gave a fuck that much before, but if you look at the reality of box office, Oscars are not catering to the public. They are catering to the Academy. When well, the streaker
0: came by,
1: oh, that was kind. Of well, that was too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they may were streakers. Yeah, but but that idea of you know the oh, it's an Oscar winning special. You know the, it, it's it's scarcity. There isn't that scarcity. So if it's not scarce, if it's not special, if there's so much, then it's it turns into blue collar. It turns into a lot of people are doing this at the factory. They're all making these things. So I mean, blue collar and they may make a living that is white collar. they may you know their job maybe, you know maybe they're not dragging cables around uh and that kind of thing maybe they're doing something you know nicer but it's less special and I think it's good that there's that that happened I think it's gonna I think it will make the industry better
0: what about if people say well why should I bother I'm not going to stand out is standing out an archaic concept
1: yeah I think if standing out your goal then or my
0: project's not going to stand out
1: well I mean sometimes good projects get buried You know, it's really hard to control the world and what you're doing, you know, again the uh, movie was recently buried because of all the mass shootings because they knew marketing-wise that was a bad move Um, If If you can as a filmmaker storyteller artist whatever it is that you create if you can find five people who like what you do and you talk to them on a regular basis and they tell other people about what you do, then that audience grows and it grows naturally, it grows organically, it grows slowly. And the quality of the, that group of individuals who knows who you are, that changes I think what you make and I think it changes you because you know kind of who it is that's going to be looking at your stuff because you talk to them on a regular basis, like I know stuff about people and people are going through stuff, and they're internet neighbors. you know I know more people online than I do uh, offline, way more they're all over the place, but it's um and I you know, the "We're all-famous to a few people" thing is, is the reality of saturation is how many people does it take for you to be famous? How many people have to know who you are to be famous? The weatherman in Minneapolis is very famous in Minneapolis. He's going to walk into an Applebee's, and everybody's going to go, "The weatherman's here." That guy shows up and here. Nobody gives a shit. They don't know who he is. He's famous in that little group, that little silo. It's like like the huge band in the UK right now that none of us know because we're not in the UK, but they're huge over there.
0: Wolf Alice?
1: I don't know. But that's what I mean. There's always one. Yeah. The little silos, you know, all the Korean K pop stuff, all that. That's that true. is another mm-hmm. silo. Right. Uh, I do a, a live streaming music show on Wednesdays. And people stay up, I'm amazed. Like Netherlands, UK, like it's 2 o'clock in the morning. We do one show and so people make requests from essentially they tweet a YouTube link with a hashtag. All I do is follow the hashtag, I click on the YouTube link and I play their request. And then everyone listening votes. And if they don't like the song then I stop the song. So it's called Song Request Cage Match. So it's like bring your song and see if it gets beat up or not. And so in Australia, someone requested something, and there was another Australian who was also uh, on, and the two of them are going back and forth about the song, and they're going on and on and on about it. And I'm like, I've never heard of this song. I have no idea who this guy is. I have no. And they're like, oh, it was everywhere. And that's what I mean. Like those little tiny silos of, you know, it's like the people who are really into Game of Thrones, the people who are really into uh, one particular comic book. That nobody else, you know, and if you're not into it, you don't know about it. I was at a barbecue and some guy walked up to me. He's like, "Hey, do you watch Game of Thrones?" I was like, "No." All right, I can't talk to you.
2: Do you watch Game of Thrones?
1: And I'm like, "I'm not gonna feel bad because you wanted to find somebody to get all excited about the finale with, but that si- those silos. So when somebody says, "Hey, have you ever seen the seen this vampire mob thing?" What, what the hell is vampire mob? This thing, and just watch it. It's hard to explain. That's them telling somebody else about your work. That's them saying I like this, I think you might like this. That is the best marketing in the world and you can't make that happen. You can't force that to happen. You can't just show up and crowdfund and make that happen. And you also can't show up and crowdfund and then never crowdfund again and then and disappear. Whoosh. Seen that. I've literally I was looking up a documentary and I… Tripped over some segments of it on like Vimeo, and I went back to their Twitter, and I and their Twitter literally was, "We've reached our goal," and there was one more tweet, and they never tweeted again. And I was like, "Wow, that is some hardcore opportunistic crowdfunding, because you're not even going to say anything past the, we hit the goal, we're out." Did they make the film? It's not out. Parts of it are out. Um, it's been too long I'm guilty of that myself with one of my crowdfunding things so maybe something went wrong but uh, yeah that's 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 bad filmmaking that may not be actually shooting but If you are going to crowdfund and then stop talking the day you make your goal or the day after you make your goal, you're doing it wrong. You need to keep talking to those people forever because then it's going to come out. Then you're going to do something else. And I've, and I've talked to someone who is a big supporter of mine who has contributed to everything I've ever crowdfunded for. And she told me that of a couple of people who I know online who she had contributed to and she said, you know, I never got any of my perks ever from any of those projects. You're the only project that I've always got my perks from. And I'm like, really? And she said, yeah, I don't want to you know, say anything but they show up and ask for more money and they didn't give me the perk from the last one. That's... Bad filmmaking, sorry, because you're doing it to make films. And if you're crowdfunding and then you do that, you're screwing over your audience. You're you're not authentic. You're ingenuine. You're you're exploiting people. You're taking advantage and you're an asshole.
0: What's something about storytelling you wish that you had learned earlier? in your career or you wish you'd stuck your guns on maybe people tried to talk you out of it
1: I guess I wish I knew how much how much more important character development was to writing I think that was I don't think I developed the characters enough when I started writing and I think that's where I if I had if I'd known to take more time to develop the characters I think I would have less or would have had less of a challenge in either the writing or the rewriting especially the rewriting because I think when you you've got a draft you're going through it you're looking for the problems you see the problems and sometimes the solution is in the bio of the character it's something that you you haven't put on the page but it's something about them and and the, and so the answer is already there because you did your homework before you started writing the script um, so that's that's one thing I wish I knew And in terms of sticking to my guns I when I I have I probably have stuck to my guns to a fault <laughs> um, I I'm one thing I'm really bad at is tolerating fools, and there are a lot of fools uh, in the entertainment industry, in every industry, but I think more in the entertainment industry. Special breed of fool. Um, in what way? Um, I guess because there, there's very little. Much like people call themselves experts, and the only thing that makes them an expert is that they put the word expert in their bio and there's no you know it's not like you get a doctorate or something you know you say like I'm a social media expert really that so you must spend all of your time learning about the new social media thing to do and that's all you're doing I'm going off on a tangent I
0: it's um, a good tangent
1: yeah um
0: but well, you said sticking to your guns to your detriment. You don't think that that's a good thing?
1: Sometimes, when you're the writer, you're the employee, and sometimes uh, I have not often, not that many gigs to begin with. But a couple of times, I was writing something that was stupid, and I knew it was stupid, and but the people who were uh producing the project who brought me on had success previously and and they were convinced this was going to be their next one and and I was the guy to do it and and it was a horrible idea that I explained to them what the hor- why it was a problem and the char- the main character wasn't likable in a way that would make the audience would never make the audience care about the character, and so I had to cook up like this whole other thing, and then explain to them like we this we need to root for the character, and if the character is, um, I remember uh, Whoopi Goldberg told the story of writing a screenplay about a, a hardcore right wing Republican senator. Who finds out that he has black blood in his uh, lineage, and all of his politics have, would make that bad? And uh, she, I can't remember who she went to for advice, and the person gave them the advice, yeah, just throw it out. Uh, and they were like, "This is a great idea. We have a lot of interest, and people are yeah, who cares?" Who cares what happens to this Republican guy? He's a bad person who discovers that he's an even worse person. Like, why are we going? And, the, and the, the, these two producers, their argument was, well, you know Bill Murray in Groundhog Day? He's very unlikable. I'm like, yeah, 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 your main character's female. So name me one mainstream comedy that has an unlikable female lead in the history of film. And nobody could come up with one because it doesn't work you have to have there has to be a reason and and Bill Murray is Bill Murray so you already have you know that character if that was an unknown and being unknown with all unknown cast that movie would be a a harder read because he makes that character fun and likable and another actor might not be able to do that as well. Yeah, it was a horror. And and the thing is, it was it was a horrible idea, and to the best of my knowledge, it's never been made. Not surprising.
0: So you're saying that working on characters, flushing them out, backstory was something you wish you had learned earlier? Because you said before that you would go on this legal pad. So that that must have been. Well, that was something I
1: learned, yeah. When I first the first screenplay I wrote was based on a real life situation that I cooked the story around it wasn't comedy and it wasn't uh, I was based on a hit and run that I was stopped from photographing by the police and it was a cover-up and uh, so that the character I it was all plot it was no it was very little character and and it was a just a house of cards plot too because that's what you know when you build up this sort of mystery and and you have this house of cards and you like oh I need I need to change that one thing because that's not going to work and then you realize that that is connected to all these other things and I'm like oh if I change this and I have to rewrite everything that is a nightmare if I had the characters already cooked more then it would be I think easier to go into the character bio and the character mind and look at the plot from that point of view rather than being sort of like, God, here's the plot, here, do something. Come on, character, do something. It doesn't work. So it was something I learned and that's where the legal pad came from because then it was like, I can scribble, I can write whatever I want, now this matters, no one's ever even gonna see this. And that's the other thing to keep in mind is when you're writing, no one's gonna see until you show it to them. Enjoy that.
0: But we want to show it to them.
1: Oh, you want to show it to them, but enjoy it when you have it. Because when it goes out for notes, it's something else, and then it goes out for more notes and and it gets torn apart. And it's only yours when you're writing it. And then you give it and then it gets and it comes back and you write it and glue it back together. And how's this? Do it again. Until everyone's happy, most likely except you. <laughs>
2: At least that's been my experience.
0: How long have you been in Los Angeles?
2: 22 years.
0: And in a couple of months, a
2: month?
1: A couple of months I'm leaving forever. Um, uh, Not by choice but uh, some family members need some help and uh, my wife and I are going to be that help. So I'm leaving Los Angeles. The place I've lived the longest, actually, my whole life.
0: So, how does that feel to you? Do you, is it sort of like you're seeing those years flip by in your mind, like on a TV show? Like it's. I,
1: it is a combination of uh, regret (laughs) and uh, I think kind of the realization that maybe things not working out for me in the entertainment industry maybe was for the best uh because I think the timing of how if I if the success came the way I thought it was going to come at the time that I thought it was going to come uh when spec sales were huge and people made money fast um I uh, I guess I, I feel like I've just gone through like the longest training program anybody could ever go through to learn how to do a bunch of shit. Um, I didn't know how to direct or write or act or do stand-up the way I do now from having done it. Um, sitting down to write a book Having done all these different things made the writing easier and better and and all that stuff because I've been doing it um, i you know i I wanted to come here and be successful and buy my wife a house. didn't happen, so when things don't work out the way you want, then you improvise, adapt, and overcome, and that's what I'm going to do, moving to Albany, New York, which is not a uh, entertainment capital that I know of. <laughs> uh, but locations will be easier to get. Uh, I do have a line on actors. Uh, play shorts is something I can continue doing.
2: Great.
1: Uh, graphic novel has I don't know how many more issues in it. Um, I guess I had a lot of fun. I met a lot of people. Uh, some of it was not fun, but uh, I guess overall, I wouldn't have done it any other way because I had to know—like I had to know what was going to happen.
0: You said regrets earlier. Oh yeah. What were the regrets? Oh
1: god, too many to number. Uh, I guess I should have tolerated some fools more, <laughs> and yeah, a bunch of stuff.
0: But aren't you glad that? If, forgive me, I don't know where you were yeah. before you went to Boston.
2: I was you were in Boston. In, yeah.
0: Okay, but were you still in? Uh, what if you had stayed in upstate New York and oh my or, God. or gone back? I don't know. You know what, what right. your travel line was. And you worked for a company and they pushed you out the door because they're hiring people from oh, sure. somewhere else or they're closing yeah, that yeah. plant or something. Yeah. So well, That essentially
1: yeah. happened to the company I, that I was working for in Boston. I was very lucky that the company I had a day job with in Boston had a company out here. So when I, I said, I'm moving to Los Angeles, so if you guys want me, that's where I'm going to be. And they were like, you can work in the other company's office for Boston. So I had a job. That I flew with, so that was great. Um, And then they pulled the plug on the company, fired everybody. Well, once I got out here, (laughs) Um, but what was the question?
0: So I guess the question is, what if you hadn't come here? Wouldn't you be more regretful for had not? Because you're you're still with your wife. Oh yeah. And I'm not trying to get too personal, but I mean, some people don't. Oh yeah, try Actually, me. I'm. Possible, I'm, you know I'm,
1: I'm. i know people have died, you know, in pursuit of this. Uh, some people died from suicide. Some people died from drugs overdose. Some people died from lifestyle, you might say. And uh, I guess, I guess what I didn't know. And there's no way you really could know like I did stuff in Boston and it you know was done live there's no you know this video of it but most of the time it was like it was theater it was something that was done for a live audience and that's what it was meant to do and then when it was over it ended and that was it it didn't exist anymore except for in the minds of the people who saw it I've heard from people who remember the stuff I did in the 90s uh, when I was in Boston uh, performance art stuff, installation art, um, and like all that stuff is gone. None of it exists anymore. Uh, but they remember it. And, You know if you make a movie and it's successful and a lot of people see it and they'll remember it sometimes movies become a part of people's lives they buy the dvd they watch it on a regular basis Uh, it's something out in the background it's the movie they go to when they're feeling shitty Uh, that is uh, something I sort of got to experience with vampire mob that you know I did have people contact me who said that they you know life wasn't great and they were kind of down and they enjoyed the humor and the characters and the story in it and it gave them some place to go for a while and that's why I feel like to some degree storytelling is a service. You are in service of other people's stories are for other people and that's who you're creating for. Uh, I mean you could create for yourself but if they don't see it, then it doesn't exist.
0: What do you think that you should have tried more of? Or maybe, maybe there's nothing? You know,
1: I changed directions a bunch of times. Uh, when things weren't going right, I'm like, you know, when things with acting and stand up weren't going great, and I was looking at writing, screenwriting, and I hadn't written anything, and I'm like, oh man, do I have a learning curve? And I'm like, I gotta back off everything else. Take classes. Really focus on on screenwriting and and learn everything that I can about it. And I've lost the question again.
0: <laughs> um, what what do you think that maybe you should have tried more uh, of?
1: I guess. I probably should have. Um, Mm, I think I should have kept doing stand-up. I think I could have, should have kept spreading myself out thin the way I was and find, uh, finding ways to deal with that chaos, um, which I enjoyed to some degree. Um, but the more I met a lot more people doing stand-up, um, and when you're a writer, you meet less people because you're at home writing and I was in a few writers groups and there were always a nightmare. I just, it was almost like competitive notes, like, oh yeah, you didn't like my screenplay? Wait till I give you notes on yours. It was garbage. I I remember one screenplay that this guy wrote and had very specific terminology to the X games to all these special things you do on a skateboard and a BMX bike and all this stuff. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, Yeah, I don't know what any of this is. And, and he's like, Well, that's the language that they use. That's the thing. And I'm like, Yeah, but what does that mean? What does they What do they do? Well, all you have to do is say that, and people know what it is. And, yeah, but the person at the reading, the at the studio, the agent, they're not going to know this. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm telling you information you don't want to hear. I can. Oh, so this isn't feedback. You just want to be. You want you just want to be told this is good you don't want to make it better you just want to so then and then when it was time for my, my screenplay to be read he just was like anything he could find and, and you, you know I know what good feedback is and what is not good feedback and that was revenge feedback.
0: What advice would you give to someone else leaving Los Angeles?
1: Hmm. I wouldn't. Give them any advice? I guess. Uh, yeah, I kind of. Uh, sometimes advice is uh, just someone else's version of the way they think things should work, and and it's just uh, uh, It's just another obstacle. It's just. It's a. It's a your expectation is being managed by someone else's experience and their experience isn't necessarily what's going to be your experience. So the advice has no value um, because they're, well, the way I did it, well, yeah, the way you did it is, and, and that was, I think, one of my problems was that I was trying to, I saw how other people made it and I was trying to do it the way they did it. I was okay, so you do this and then you win a contest and then you get a manager and then you go out, take a script out and then you sell it. And uh, there's a million ways careers happen and don't make the mistake I did of sort of telling your story, you're like, well, this is gonna happen, then I'm gonna do this, this, and this, and this, and that's the way it's gonna be. And then when it's not, oh, I did something wrong, I guess. I'm the problem, so I gotta change the plan. So I'm not gonna do this, this, and this, and all right, that's not working. Well, I'm gonna... it, I, I enjoyed less of it. I missed out on a lot because I was working
0: so hard
1: to try to make it.
0: What did you miss out on?
1: Oh. Birthdays, vacations, seeing the outside world, uh, friendships, a lot, a lot. (coughs) You can only sit in one chair at a time.
0: What does success look like to you?
1: I don't know anymore, actually. That is a good question.
2: Uh,
1: Nothing to do with the entertainment industry.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, you'll still be able to make stories oh yeah and and now you might have a pool of people that oh sure, sure aren't going to be you know there's going to be access to talent up there as well yeah and maybe something new will come from it and it, it'll be a new definition of because I think coming being here we're so clouded by not the middle class version of success oh yeah but this like astronomical thing that I don't even know if those people are happy. We don't know that. We don't know if that's… I have
1: met a lot of people who were wealthy and successful and miserable. I remember talking to somebody who had… They were working on a basic cable show and a network show at the same time. And they were complaining that the basic cable show didn't send a driver and the network show did. It was, (laughs) you know, why doesn't the basic cable show send a driver and it was just like… I'm in the back of my mind going, you know how many fucking people would like to have that fucking problem? not having the basic cable show, send a driver. Oh, you have to drive yourself to your job that you get? Poor you, you're breaking my heart. It's like listening to people who, like social media experts who complain about traveling. They're like, oh my God, it's so hard to travel from conference to conference and miss flights and all the rest of it. Really, get up on a roof and do some roofing in August in Los Angeles. Get the smell of tar up in your nose and then tell me how hard it is again to sit in an airport. Really? Is it really that hard to sit in an airport? Sorry. Sorry you have to sit so long. Sorry that's such hard work for you. Sorry you're not at the hotel where you're supposed to be at the right time. Again, get on a fucking roof in fucking August with the smell of tar in your nose and tell me again how hard it is that you work. Writing's not hard. None of this shit is hard. None of this shit is roofing in August in Los Angeles. Anytime you think you're working hard, think, oh, well, you know what? I'm not on a roof and 95 degrees with tar up my nose. That's hard work. All the rest of this, you know, I worked hard, but I didn't do roofing for the last 22 years. You know, I was indoors. It was not hard work. I've seen hard work. I've been around hard work. I've done hard work. None of this shit is hard work. Hard work is a bunch of 18-hour days on set, day after day after day. That is hard work. Hard work, gaffers do hard work, electricians do hard work, carpenters do hard work. Actors, less so. Directors, less so. So I never wanted to be a Video Village director. I never wanted to be the guy sitting looking at fucking monitors and barking shit from a chair. I wanted to be holding a camera and I wanted to be right in there with the actors because that's where it is happening. And if I didn't know how to run a camera, then I couldn't have done that. So I learned how to run a camera so I could do that. And I'm a better director because I run camera. Because I'm there, I'm with the actor. The actor's looking at me, the director, who's operating the camera that's pointing at them. Completely different experience. And the guy over in the corner, who's barking stuff back, or gets up, walks over, says something, walks back. I just yell cut. Good. Anything? Mm-hmm. All right. Again. Go. I can shoot 10 pages in four hours, door to door, in and out, done it every time. Every episode of Play Shorts was four hours. Rehearse the actors for two hours a week before, bring them in, we walk into Nick's at four o'clock, we set up lights, we eat dinner, we shoot, we close it up, 9, 9.30, we're gone. Four or five hours, all you need. Don't need an 18 hour day. And you don't need a giant crew.
0: Any thoughts on um, friendships in LA, partnerships?
1: Uh, Friendships in LA are, sometimes friendships are based on projects. There's a lot of project friendships. Like you work on a project and everybody's friends and you're going to know each other forever and then the project ends and you never see each other again. Uh, That's pretty common. And then you're right, it's like, Coworker friendships it's that kind of thing um I think it is harder to have or at least it was I found it harder to have more meaningful friendships just at the the pace of everything that was going and everyone's so worried about their career and and who's got what and who's doing what and the next thing that it it um, didn't allow for a lot of uh, um, deeper friendships. I felt, but some of that's me, so, and some of that's LA.
0: So, is it about the work?
1: For me, it was always about the work. I really, you know, I really loved it, and. I wish I could have done it more, but uh, I didn't.
0: What's the thing you're most proud of?
1: The thing I'm most proud of? Nothing that's on screen. (laughs) I don't think I'm... I think I'm more proud of what I what I knew that I got through it. I guess not any specific work. It's sort of the all of it. all those classes and workshops and writer's groups and meetings and lit managers and contests. Oh Christ. I could have made a lot more money doing something else, but it wasn't. I moved out of here for the money because I was doing, you know, the nonprofit art thing in Boston and there's something about the uh, there's something about making art when you know it's not going to make you any money that is different when you know i mean people are, oh i paint and I put it up in a gallery and people pay me thousands of dollars yeah most painters don't have that most painters are they got a lot of paintings and that I haven't sold And I think when I did an installation that had uh, 27 TVs in it and uh, things were run by motion detectors and there were VCRs and slide projectors and took up a giant room and it took me 50 hours to put it up and I had help and I was in that gallery for a week and almost slept on the floor one night. I was there so long. And I knew I wasn't going to make a dime from it. Knew it. Knew it cost me money to do it. Knew I wasn't going to make a dime. But I had to do it. I had to do it. I had to make it. It was the first thing I ever made. It was huge. And uh, I showed it once. I never showed it again. And that thing changed everything. I didn't do that thing, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now because I know the dominoes that went over because of that one thing I made. So when you make something that is for commerce that is that is the goal commerce is the goal and it doesn't sell then it's not a success and and that is it's a business that is people don't get paid if you don't make money Uh, art is you know i got grants i got you know i worked at day jobs to to pay for all the stuff so i could have the time to make the art um and all the and the the reward was seeing people go through it hearing from people afterwards like that was enough and when I started doing stand-up and performance art and dealing with doing a little bit of touring with a with two different shows. I, that's when you know I got things got to get paid for. You know I got to pay for all this stuff. So this has to make at least this much money to pay for this much stuff. And if I'm going to get and if I'm going to get paid, it's got to be above these costs. They when you're out here in Los Angeles in the entertainment industry, you're not making anything that is not made for money. Um, that is the goal. That's it's a business. You're not making art. You're making commerce. You're making product and yes there's some creativity in it but if nobody wants it nobody wants it and nobody cares wow you've written a great screenplay that no one will ever make that no one wants there's lots of people who have done i've done definitely done a couple of those <laughs> but uh, so the value of it is like screenplays are not to be read they're maps for movies if they're not made into movies then they're not then they don't exist. They're nothing. They're not. There isn't screenplays, literature. There's not people sitting around. Hey, we read a good screenplay yesterday. So good. <laughs> Nobody does that. It's ridiculous. Um, but the I think the thing with the internet neighbors who have a response to my work is similar to seeing human beings have a response to my work in a gallery, and. I started as a photographer so it was just a picture on a wall or in front of them or in a newspaper or magazine. And then when it was installation I surrounded the viewer. Sound, light, images, physical objects, um, a structure that changed the space. Uh, And then I started doing performance art because the same thing I could control I they were sitting there I was sitting here and I could create something that we could all that could ha- we could ha- it could happen together it, it, and you would experience it your way and, and I'm and we're all here together and this is what's happening and yeah you paid a ticket to get in here but it's barely going to cover the cost of doing this fucking show uh, that is very similar to when I make shorts and I put them online and I hear from people who who saw them. It's the value, the value is the experience that you're creating for someone else in whatever media. So, you know, stand-up comedy, your job is to make people laugh. So that's your job. If you're telling somebody a story, it's a funny story, not a funny story. It has to keep them amused and engaged and interested. And when it's uh, art, uh, I think you don't think exactly the same way. I think it's I think it is a little more of the uh, I'm making art and you're gonna see it, and and uh, the relationships I think different a little bit.
0: Yeah. See, our- I thinking of, like, Cindy Sherman, yeah. you know, and, and whether, I mean, I know she got a lot of criticism for some of the work that she did, but I just right. found her so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Just, just. Especially
1: you know. the time in history that she was doing her work compared to now when everyone's taking selfies left and right.
0: Right,
2: right. It's
1: such a weird, and also just the reality that people are more comfortable in front of lenses. There's going to be entire generations now that have no problem being in front of the camera
0: or just living for life in front of the camera not even being yeah. able to enjoy an event yes. having to show having to document it yep selfie museums and that's all cool that's great that's, that's sure. but at some point you're not really in reality though right people are going to movies and they're texting during the movie yeah. why would you pay for a ticket mm-hmm. is it for the air conditioning and somewhere to sit right
1: and, that, and, and and that's what makes going to the movies
2: unattractive
1: to people. Like it has to be Marvel, it has to be loud and action so everyone's attention is on the screen and not on the other screen they have in their pocket. And if the movie's not good enough to keep your attention from texting, then maybe it's the movie.
0: Or maybe we need more, it's like a drug. And so, what? it's not enough to just have good dialogue anymore. A great interesting scene between two people. We've become too desensitized to it.
1: Well, I don't know if all of us have, but I think they're definitely, you know, there's. it's like pop music. Pop music is inherently shitty music. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Except
0: for the song Pop Music. That's right, actually that a good
1: but So, So pop music is, you know, it's, it's uh, it's short. It's catchy. It's got some part that you can sing along with or hum along with or whatever. It's got some little chorus hook thing in it.
0: Someone's been jilted.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it's the same to some degree with, with movies uh, that are popular. Is that you know it's just meant as this little thing that you see and it comes and goes and and that's it. It's very. And then there's other movies that maybe have a bigger impact Um, I don't know I really think about the audience audiences now so many people are watching stuff alone you know with a laptop or on their phone or you know you're on a plane everyone's watching a movie on something and that is the more normal behavior now than to have the sort of communal experience at a theater where you're you're all laughing at once or you're all jumping at once and now it's just you and I think as a storyteller I like now I never think about a theater I never think about a group of people watching I always think about one person Uh, yeah I never think about a group I used to think about groups of people when I was writing and now I think about one person especially writing the book I definitely think about one person because that is the only way it works. But even with, yeah, even with the other stuff, I would say that's true.
0: What are things you learned in the last five years that you wish you knew the first five years you were here? God,
1: I'm thinking of all these negative things. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see.
0: Uh, it can be reality based, it doesn't happen.
1: People be. lie, and you will be amazed yes. at how much they will lie who they are when they're lying and what they're lying about Um, five years ago I guess I didn't know how much of a an impact I've had a tiny impact I've had on a bunch of people I know online Um, I didn't know I don't like the term influencer and I don't consider myself an influencer because it sounds really let me come and influence you, just. Um,
0: and not the c word either. Not the c the word. Content creator. Yes, <laughs> I like but
1: I, uh, yeah, I think that's one thing.
0: Uh, so people lie. You didn't know the type of impact that you had on people that were, let's say, well, even online.
1: The, even like doing the film courage interviews, you know, seven years ago, and then I pop back in and read the comments, and I'm like. I did. I said what? <laughs> I did what? Really? Well That's. I'm glad I inspired you, but man, um, it's very nice. But I didn't know I could do that uh, ever. Um, so I guess that would be a third thing. Um, I did not know. I did not know how fucked up the country was. <laughs> like I, I, I was always, you know uh painted as a pessimist when I pointed out the things about the country that seem so obvious now that have always been there but yeah. Um,
0: I guess last five years. I think that's three and a half, huh? Wow.
1: I guess I didn't know that people would like my cat so much online. I oh, not know. It's great. <laughs> That's something I didn't know that I wish I knew. I would have made my cat much more of a prominent figure in my work. (laughs) Uh, But it's cool
0: to see, sorry to interrupt, but the two of you together, though. It's not just your cat. I mean, Mike's adorable. Oh, yeah. yeah, And he's great, you know, he takes a great photo. But
1: um, it's it's, my photography professors would be like, What are you doing? (laughs) Like, literally, I remember one class who was like, I do not want to see any pictures of cats. Or wrought iron fences. Those are the two things I do not want to see in this collage. And now I'm just taking cat pictures. Um,
0: But it's the two of you together, and you did something about like investigating some kind of catnip ring. Oh yeah, which was hilarious. Oh yeah, you were like, it was like sort of investigative journalism, and it was like, I don't know if it was like. Bad catnip or what it was, but you were you were on it.
1: Yeah, um, this guy I know that lives in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, had a fake news show, and he had uh, reporters uh, all in different countries that were all doing stuff. And so I came up with uh, I was using the opioid epidemic, but I just switched it to catnip, and then made everything about catnip and tried to interview my cat, and yeah, that yeah that was a lot of fun. I guess I wish I knew how much more important having fun was. Like it didn't fun doing the work. Like, like I know I've never had a bad time directing. Like even when it was things didn't go right, it still was really fun. Um, I really like working with actors. Uh, I always you know run quick, easy, fun sets. It's you know. There's no bullshit. There's no man. There's no bullshit. (laughs) My sense at all. Um, And I guess the other thing I learned is that sometimes I probably learned this before or five years ago, but sometimes somebody who is hungry and wants to work on something is better than someone who has a resume who can prove they'd be great to work on it. Sometimes I've definitely worked a couple of times. I've worked with people who uh, it was their first time shooting something, and it was my first time shooting something, and none of us should have been shooting that, and it all worked out fine. <laughs> like it was just like I was not going to. I need a DP. We have to have a director of photography. There's no way that we can shoot this without. I was just more like, so you can focus, right? You know, you had shot a couple of things with your DSLR, okay? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you? and it worked out perfectly. It was odd that we ended up with three access to three 5Ds, three uh, operators and we had three identical lenses that were um, 28-70 to uh, L series lens that just gorgeous, just does great stuff and somehow one person had another one, one person could borrow one and so we had matching cameras with matching lenses for the whole shoot. It's the only thing I used. 2870.
0: Quote from you It's all about the audience. When you tell stories to agents, managers, and producers, that doesn't happen.
1: I guess the way audiences experience stories just like uh, regular people, Uh, you know, they have an emotional response, their disbelief is suspended. Um, When you're telling a story to people in the business, they're it's it's almost like everyone in the industry is a magician and you have a magic trick and they all know already know how the trick works because they're they work in the magic business and so they always look at tricks like a magician not like an audience member and so your agents your producers all the rest of it they can't experience it the same way because they have been paying too much attention to how tricks work that they can't suspend their disbelief and just see the trick and go oh wow how would you do that. The marketing part of like if you're writing a story and it's a really good story and it is um, not marketable it's probably going to be harder to get made. if something is marketable and it's a good story it might be easier to get made but and I think I've made this mistake sometimes I think you can be too focused on trying to write to the market I think you can be like a friend of mine who's like all into whatever the new thing is that people are into and they will then chase that genre. Um, and it's I don't know, it seems like an empty errand to me. It seems like you're you're chasing your tail because if you can recognize a trend then it's already over because by the time you're jumping on that trend, it's it'll be done. And like when I, I wrote a vampire show at the height of all the vampire shit, uh, not out of marketing, just out of well if everyone likes these vampire shows and I don't like any of them um, can I have one that I like? And so that was that's Vampire Mob. Vampire Mob is a show that I would like uh, and, I, and it, people continue to find it and, and it also I think people's perception changed because there aren't a million vampire stories now. So when they see Vampire Mob now it's different than it was 10 years ago. And that's kind of cool. Like, time changes the story.
0: What do you need right now?
1: What do I need right now? Hmm. Uh, patience, time, and uh, cash. That will be it.
0: Okay. In that particular order? Maybe, well, yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm
1: mostly in that order yeah it takes a lot to pack up 22 years of your life and move it 3000 miles I did it I was in Boston for 13 when I moved down here so and I you know I couldn't I threw a lot of art away I couldn't take all my installations I couldn't take any of it no way and I couldn't store it because I didn't have the money so it, I literally threw art in a dumpster mm. so I could move here.
0: That would be crazy if somebody found it and they still have it in their apartment. That would be. (laughs) You never know.
1: That's true. It would be weird for them to have it.
0: What do you think you needed when you first came here?
1: Uh, In
0: 97,
1: 98 you say? Yeah, 97. I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, I would. All I was looking for was some kind of validation that I was doing the right thing. I think, and rarely, if ever, got it. I think the that is also kind of a wasted. You know, it, it's great when people like your stuff. And, just, and people in the industry like your stuff. It's very nice, um, and sometimes. They uh, maybe like it a little too much. Um,
0: How's that possible?
1: uh, Because they're trying to sell you on how much they like it.
0: So they need something from you.
1: No, it's more like they're. It's they're telling you how great you are sometimes. Not everybody, but I've had a few times where um trying to zero in on this. Yeah, I lost it.
0: Is it because they want to be cast in your next project? I mean, oh that no, no, reality. no I'm, I'm taking
1: more like like, oh. like when a manager talks, like a lit manager talking up talking up your project to you to try to essentially don't believe the hype like sometimes I've had a couple of managers who and that's part of their job they want to keep you psyched and that's nice but try not to believe the hype whether it's your the hype that they're they're like hyping you they're they're like it's going to do this and it's going to do that and you're you know and that's all great but if you really believe it Uh, you're going to be gravely disappointed and I think that's that's the hard thing when you're you know when people move out here it's like you know you give up a lot and the industry becomes your most important relationship and everything that's the first thought in your head and everything else comes in second and That's uh, not the way everybody does it. That's the way I did it, Um, because I was just so I'm like I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this. I'm going to force this to happen, and I couldn't. I couldn't force it to happen. And then after a while, it wasn't fun. And then when it wasn't fun, and I just like I'm just going to do my own shit. And I had more. (laughs) I had more entertainment industry meetings when I ignored the entertainment industry than when I didn't because uh, people treat you differently when you make stuff when you're a writer it's just oh you got some stuff on a paper good for you isn't that nice <laughs> but when you make stuff and people oh you made oh you're a director oh you actually wrote and directed and you made something people treat you differently it's a totally different vibe than here I have this I'm going to make this so oh, good that's if you've made some stuff even if it's just shorts but the how stuff made changes, you know, changes you as a writer, changes you as a director, editor. Like I, I know why it was rewritten. So a lot more having been an editor and editing my own stuff and watching the actors talking, and I'm like, yeah, I don't need any of this. Zip, it's gone because I'm the editor. It's, uh, yeah.
0: Do you consider yourself an industry guy at the heart of it, Joe?
1: I guess define industry guy.
0: Uh, You said you didn't want to make the industry your higher power, but you did for a while.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: And so, uh, even though you're leaving to go somewhere else, yep. My assumption is you still plan on being creative. Oh yeah, that's not going to ever leave you.
1: Yeah, I. That's hardwired in me. I've always been making stuff somehow forever always uh, from photography I started taking pictures when I was like 11 or 12 and had a front page when I was 15 and that was it I was going to be a photographer because I had the top flap of the front page of the Poughkeepsie Journal Um, and I beat other photographers out on that thing so that made me feel like that. I'm sorry. Ask the question again.
0: Do you consider yourself an industry guy in terms of keeping Hmm. your finger on the pulse of the industry? Oh no, Uh, no. I've
1: actually been ignoring the industry for years while I've been here. Uh, I really don't. uh, I don't pay any attention to box office. I don't pay any attention to what's new. I don't pay attention to any of it. I could be in Des Moines, Iowa, and do the same thing that I'm doing now. I just need actors. I'm sure there's actors in Des Moines, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah.
0: There's the Iowa, Iowa, sorry, writers group.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I will always make stuff. I can't not make stuff, whatever stuff that is. Uh, Living in Albany will be different uh, because there's not a lot of people like me and so I'm, you're not going to have I'm never going to hear the word callback in a conversation in Albany <laughs> I'm never going to hear any kind of industry anything it's just and, and it's going to be weird because I oh it would be weird it'll, I'll be a weirdo because I will be surrounded by people who don't make stuff. And my wife's an artist, so she makes stuff. But yeah, it'll be uh, a bit of a culture shock, plus the snow. So well, that'll be worse. But uh, yeah, I I think the one thing by ignoring the industry for years, um, I have sort of preconceived in a way or, or, or pre-planned in a way how it's going to work when I'm I'm not here in Los Angeles because all the money that comes from crowdfunding is, does not come from Los Angeles. The people who support what I do are not in Los Angeles. Um, they're all over the world and we just meet on the internet. So doesn't matter where i am because we meet on the internet that's my neighborhood so that's where i meet my neighbors that's where i show my neighbors the work i make so that is so to them i won't move to most people it'd be like oh you just have a different background for the cat pictures but otherwise be exactly the same you know and i haven't put out i haven't put a short out in three years, four years No. So uh, I have to go like, get back and oh no, yeah oh no I did Clyde all right maybe I did that I can't remember when I did Clyde Hates Bonnie but regardless I haven't I definitely haven't put anything out in three years.
0: How do you think Mike will adjust to the weather?
1: He's gonna hate
0: it. Is he an indoor cat?
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Oh good. Big time, big time. Yeah. Good. good. Yeah, but he's so. I mean, he hates the cold here. He's like gets under the covers when it's winter here, so he's gonna lose his mind there. I'm sure his fur will get really thick. <laughs> but that that cat has been by my side through uh, the first short I made, my first. Fuck it, I'm just gonna make shit short. Technically, my second one. Um, he was next to me when I wrote it. He was next to me when I cut it and he's been next to me for all the stuff that I've written and edited he likes to hang out
0: is he a rescue
1: uh it wasn't like any burning buildings or anything involved uh, we, we adopted him
0: from an or a, re- a rescue
1: I uh, know we adopted him from our vet had a wing of cats that were up for adoption oh okay and so we uh adopted him there
0: I consider that a rescue. It's not a rescue. That's nice. That's a nice bet
1: Yeah, it was really. It was a really cool setup uh, because we had a cat for eighteen years named Dave, and when Dave died, we I was like just like like more than a human died. Oh yeah. And uh, so I I I like there's a like how much time do I want to give. You know, what's the proper morning time for to lose a cat and then get another one? What's the amount of time? uh, Three months, that was it. I'm like, I gotta get another cat. And I'd never raised a cat from a kitten, ever, because Dave was Kathy's cat. He was an adult when we met. And her previous boyfriend didn't like cats, and she had two cats, and I grew up with cats, so those cats were like my wingmen. Like, they were, like, we got along great. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, good, uh, good crew.
0: Joe, what are you most excited about in terms of when you leave Los Angeles, going to your new destination, and starting working on something?
1: I guess I'm. Um, I'm interested to see what happens uh, with a production. I've never, I've never like put a crew together and, and actors uh, any place but here. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what that looks like, um, and you know when you rent locations out here or borrow locations or steal locations or whatever, everyone kind of knows that oh you're oh you're, you we should charge you because you're making a lot of money on this right you're making money right got to be making money, and I don't think anybody in Albany, New York is going to be you know convinced that there is some giant money making machine behind something so it will be uh, I guess I'm kind of looking forward to being the weirdo I guess
2: in the room. (laughs)